0: Hello again, one and all, and welcome to the fourth episode of Through the Years, the podcast where two burrito fans go through every single Ring of Honor show until they get tired of it chronologically from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dame, and my co-host, as always, is Matt Feuerstein. Matt, how you doing?
1: Well, this time you gave an introduction that I can actually agree with because I do like burritos very much, and that's all I have to say about that.
0: Fine. Brings us together. Yes. Um, This show is going to have a lot of segments on this Ring of Honor show for reviewing, so I think we'll just – we're going to cut straight to it this time. And again, as always, any contact information we'll give out at the end of the show. So fourth show, fourth Ring of Honor show too. We are reviewing today Road to the Title, which took place on June 22nd, 2002 – at the Murphy Rex Center in Philadelphia, just like every other uh, Ring of Honor show so far. One thing to note here is I believe this is the only time Ring of Honor ever had a two-month break between shows. They skipped um, May, and I don't I have no idea why. I couldn't find out why. I don't know if that was just uh, to make sure they could get everyone here. Like I think you said just on the last episode, maybe they wanted to make sure they could get all these names together. So they needed a special date. Maybe it was as just a matter of they were still kind of feeling out how often to run but i mean looking through the schedule they w- i don't think they ever i mean maybe something's happened recently between tapings but i don't think they ever went a month without a show again
1: i mean i think it was probably that just that murphy rec center was such a hot venue at the time and they just couldn't get it booked for a, for a saturday night it was just you know all the big names coming through
0: well actually that's a if this was one more review in the future this would be perfect because Then the Murphy Rec Center gets literally hot, temperature-wise. Yes. But um, the attendance for the show was listed as 450, which would be the biggest um, so far. Uh, Dave Meltzer and the Observer said they actually had to add some chairs for the show. And I will say, looking at when the show cuts away from the hard camera, it did look like there was a few more rows of people maybe on the other sides of the building. So I don't know if this was a case of just absence making the heart grow fonder or the idea of a big tournament. But it actually is kind of, not super impressive, but kind of impressive to see, you know, this is the first show out of the four. They don't have any, well, not the first show, but the second, that they don't have Eddie Guerrero. But the first time they didn't have Eddie Guerrero, the show took a kind of a dip in attendance. And this one, you know, they don't really have any huge outside name other than Jerry Lynn, who I don't think is a huge name. And they they do, you know, their best crowd yet.
1: I think they were building their reputation. You know, people had probably started to see the first two shows. Um, they had matches on those two shows that were really awesome. So I could see getting 450 in that part of the country, I think, is not too difficult if you have a product that has a lot of buzz. And I, yeah. think, I think they were at that level now. And, yeah. and you know, besides that at Guerrero, I do think that this lineup was, on paper, easily the best that they had so far.
0: Yeah, just tons of possibilities, and we start the show with a – we get a big close-up of a low-key tattoo, and then we zoom out to see low-keys backstage with his uh, regular New York entourage of, like, uh, the Hit Squad and Homicide, and they're all trying to pump low-key up. Monster Mac tells low-key, respect, honor, and discipline are the things that make up low-key. Uh, Mafia tells him that the tournament's about nobody but low-key, not even Christopher Daniels, which makes low-key all growly and low-key-like. And then finally, Homicide, I love, just comes in and is the most homicide he could possibly be. He's just like, yo, key, kill that dude. I
1: realized that that was like a catchphrase of Homicide – at that time, like I didn't realize it at the time, but he says in a lot of promos that he's just going to kill people, and it is an a- it's an apropos uh, catchphrase for a man named Homicide.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's I never even put two to two two and two together of Homicide and his love of killing people, but I doubt it was even conscious a conscience effort, which makes it better. <laughs> and at this point, Loki starts throwing pretty hard forms into a concrete wall being all pumped up like crazy ass low key gets pumped up. And then he goes, yells into the camera that it's not over between him and Christopher Daniels and that the ring of honor title will be his. And
1: I just wrote key gives intense, but lame promo on Daniels.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's weird because in wrestling, I feel like as fans, we ask for guys to be authentic and it's so kind of hammy, but at the same time, it really does feel authentic. Like yeah. this feels like, I don't doubt that this is low key.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know what that's not a
0: great thing. Yeah. yeah, but you're right. But then we get a, uh, ring of honor, standard technic- techno music video. But this time we get, um, kind of a slapdash little vi- highlight video of, um, Philadelphia road signs. Cause this yeah. is road to the title road. And, uh, they have a little caption that says, all roads lead to Philadelphia. And then they do their usual thing that's kind of annoying, where they uh, have a video of every entrance we're going to see later every, anyway. And the thing I thought was funny, I noticed this time, was they used like a different transition effect for every single entrance. And it really felt like they were just um, – that someone got Pro Tools or like Adobe Edit or something for the Ado- first time. Adobe Premiere. Yeah, Adobe Premiere. That's it. that's what I was looking for, and they were going through every like different wipe, one to the other. I don't know if we saw star wipe, but we saw pretty much every transition. Just you know, just like one by one, it was really kind of pretty funny to me. It's
1: like when I was making powerpoints in grad school. <laughs> just play with all the wipes. It's the most fun thing you could do on PowerPoint.
0: And the great thing is, once you see a few different wipes, I don't care if it's a PowerPoint presentation or an ROH entrance video, all you start start looking for is the next wipe. Like, what's it going to be? You know, Is it going to turn to four squares? Is it going to be an American flag draped over the screen for a second? I don't know. Did they do the four square wipe? I'm not even sure. Like, I just was lost in the bliss of ever-changing wipes. Hmm. Uh, Don't cut that, anybody. But first match today on the show is – Okay, actually, one thing we have to address before I'll, I think we should do here before we get to the matches, is both on this DVD and even just reading like the Observer and stuff from the time, is Ring of Honor sold this night as four four man mini tournaments and not what it really in in all like, in actuality it was, which was a 16 man tournament where the first two rounds took place tonight like reading the observer davis like ROH has announced a four 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 man mini tournaments and all this stuff and even the commentators tonight talk about it as if it's four and everything separated into blocks which again doesn't make sense because if they are four separate tournaments why do you need what's a block A and a block B you know you only need that it if it's a larger tournament it it just almost seems like maybe someone in ring of honor was scared that the idea Of you're only seeing the two rounds of a tournament that will conclude at the next show might not be as enticing.
1: Well, this is—I thought this was pretty lame too. It's like, is the NCAA March Madness tournament four separate tournaments also? Because they also have four blocks and build to a final four.
0: Yeah, and the four teams, or in this case the four wrestlers, they're not winning anything but the right to go into another match. Which, to me, like a tournament's supposed to. no one's remembering, like, oh, do you remember who won the Road to the Title, Title Block C Tournament? What a prestigious honor. Like, it's only serving to go to the final.
1: Was it Daniels? Did Daniels win Block C?
0: I, I Honestly, no. I didn't even mark down the blocks. I, I am doing, as a vote of protest here, I am referring to these round matches as first round and second round. Tonight, I refuse to indulge in the blocks.
1: That's what she said, she being a... Um an obstinate seven-year-old. didn't want to. <laughs> he said play, he was too. Doesn't want to play blocks anymore. <laughs> too old for that.
0: <laughs> I could go for some blocks right now. Yeah. But what we got instead of blocks was the very first first-round match of the night and the first match overall, and that was American Dragon versus Biohazard. And American Dragon here beats Biohazard in 231 when Dragon makes Biohazard submit to the cattle mutilation. And for those who don't know who Biohazard is, uh, I'll say I don't blame you. He was another uh, Texas Wrestling Academy student. Quite a few of them were coming to Ring of Honor at this point. And we'll see him on a few more Ring of Honor shows, but he really won't make much of an impression. And he doesn't really make much of an impression here. I mean, to be fair, he doesn't get time to. It's a a two-and-a-half-minute match. It's like you can tell the first minute is kind of like, okay, kid, you know, do whatever you can. And then Dragon just kind of kills him for the second half, finishes him off quick, end of the match.
1: I thought you were going to say, for those of you who don't know who Biohazard is, we don't either. Um, (laughs) But uh, uh, from his entrance, he sort of reminded me of, like, Bane a little bit, he had that thing on his face I just don't know if when he talked it sounded like he was speaking through a muffled loudspeaker um, the, only, the only two observations I really have about this are one, they showed, they before all the first round matches they show little preview videos of like each match like almost like video packages but there was no history between these two and literally the only footage they had of Biohazard was from this match <laughs> yeah. so, so they showed footage of these entrances and the match immediately followed by
0: his entrance and the match. Um. <laughs> I noticed that too. That was so funny. And also, they, all the clips they showed for, da- for Dragon were from the Spanky match he lost on the last show. And I thought, well, maybe they were just pulling stuff quick from the last show only for these highlights. But no, like other guys get more varied highlights. But for some reason, Dragon, all his highlights are from the one match he had with Spanky on the last show.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, it's just lazy, but whatever. It doesn't really matter, I guess. But, and then the other funny thing was, um, I forget who did it, but somebody did one of those, like, I think it was Biohazard, did one of those, like, Kurt Hennig-style, like, neck snaps where um, the other guy's sitting on the mat, you know, sitting up and he snaps the neck. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And Donnie B. referred to it as a snap suplex of the neck.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) It starts already. It, it starts already, man. You got to
1: keep track of that Donnie B stuff. We're going to try to not talk about him quite as much, but certain points There will just, be some. Yeah, certain points you just can't avoid it.
0: I would actually point that the announcers at the end of this match, I think it was Donnie B, they start talking about um you know, Right when Biohazard loses, I think Donnie B goes into like you know he you know his school will be proud of him. He did great tonight, and he'll <laughs> be back in Ring of Honor. He just lost a two and a half minute match.
1: I did like nothing.
0: Yeah, and yeah, I mean, and to go back to what Matt said earlier, Biohazard comes out wearing like a mask that covers just the bottom half of his face. It has little tiny green LED lights in it, and he has these weird, very tiny very spaced out, kind of half-bleached blonde braids. It's it's worth searching out if you can find uh, a JPEG of this, of this character. Because it was a very... I mean, that's the most memorable thing he gets to do, is just simply exist in front of the camera for the show. Agreed. And so next, we're going to go to a match that might be a tiny bit better. I don't want to give away my impression. But um, that would be spanky taking on paul london in the first round of the tournament and spanky would beat paul london here in 958 after the sliced bread number two um matt what did you think about this
1: um i thought it was pretty good they looked they looked good um you know doing the basic wrestling early um london did some arm bars and head scissors and um uh, one thing i noticed pretty early was spanky is wearing tights um uh, in this match, which I, um, think he must have learned his lesson from the previous match where he got those pants that ripped from, uh, Goodwill or whatever. And, um, I noticed he was also doing a little bit less nonsense than he'd been doing in the other shows, you know, just less like preening and dancing and stuff. He just like wrestled, which I thought, uh, helped a lot. Um, I spanky did a pretty uh, intense drop kick to London's head while London was on the mat. Uh, they did like a forearm exchange, um, And you could see Rudy uh, Rudy Boyd kind of encouraging Paul London. So I guess they kind of de facto made London the baby face in this match. Um, London did a really good super kick, uh, which led to a a double count-out countout spot in the middle of the ring. And by then, at that point, the crowd is really into it. Um, London misses the shooting star press. Banky goes for slice bread, too. But London crotches him and hits a springboard in Zagiri. Um, springboard, um, Springboard Lion Salt by London for two. Uh, and then, like at this point, the match is really good, and then they get to the finish, and there's some botches, which I think takes it down a few, uh, a few uh, pegs. There's a superplex spot that's uh, pretty badly botched, and both guys fall to the ground. Um, Spanky goes for two, um, another, another botched suplex by Spanky, which. Um, you know, again, two in a row makes it even worse. I've noticed something with Spanky at this point, which is when he gets off his game, he really, really, really gets off his game. Um, I don't know if that's something that you've noticed, too. but um, And then he goes up to the top, but London crotches him, but Spanky, but Spanky hits the sliced bread for the win. So I thought it was really good and exciting, uh, and then it just it fell apart, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of forgive them for... I'm a bit easier on them for that because it's strange because this match only went 10 minutes, but I actually feel like they almost went too long because I was almost starting to check out around 8 or 9 minutes. I was like, I really like this match, and, you know, you've done enough. Like, you're good. And it felt like the crowd maybe started to dip just a tiny bit, although they popped big when it was over because they were appreciating things. But, uh, yeah, then all of a sudden the botches happened. But I thought this was a pretty – I would say like high good, like like not quite very good, but I would say this is a pretty darn good match, and it's interesting to think this was paul London 's third ring of honor show, and technically his fourth match, and this is the first time he's really gotten to show you know what he can do you know it's only ten minutes, but that's a reasonable amount of time. But when you consider that his first match was against Chris Marvel. And at a round robin challenge, and that goes a couple minutes because Chris Marvel accidentally, you know, breaks his ankle. And then his second match is uh, part of that gauntlet on Night of Appreciation, and it's against, I think, John Hope, and we see four moves in a highlight video. And then his third match is against Michael Shane for like five or six minutes, and it's fine. So it's weird to think that Paul London, like, this is his first opportunity to actually – impress. And I think he really does here. I, I I think he seems exciting. Like, even at this point, kind of revisiting him, I kind of like that he's got some good flying. He does a great uh, Topcon helo here that uh, Donnie B calls a sunset flip thingamajiggy. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think he has good baby face fire when he's, like, shooting off forearms and stuff. Like, he's a guy who's good at flying, but even when you see him do other other things, he, he, they're all done well enough that he's not really being typecast as a high flyer to me. And no, he's, he's a biatch. He's no, he's a high flyer and he's a biatch. <laughs> he,
1: he's a biatch and a high flyer. Call, and back, a, call back. You have to listen to the last episode to know what we're talking about.
0: Well, you know when we get to episode four, we're just old enough where we can start layering in things uh-huh. like that, references, and start really disenfranchising new listeners. Exactly. But – um, I thought also you could tell, I don't know how much these two worked together in TWA if they did at all, but it definitely seemed like they had really good chemistry until the botches. I think there it was a lot of really fast kind of fun exchanges at the start, but they didn't feel like they didn't get to the point of feeling choreographed to me, which I liked. So again, I think this is the first time that, uh... Paul London really gets to show off. It's another good match for Spanky and yeah, it would have been better without the botches, but still 10 minutes for the second match on the show. I'm more than happy with this.
1: Yeah, it was good. Um I will say yeah, I think London looked impressive. I think London still looks like his stuff from this point looked, still looks really good. Like I think he was a really good wrestler pretty early on in his career. Spanky, I thought this was the first time he actually got to look really good. Like, he always looked, you know, f- good compared to some of the other guys on the show, as I've mentioned, but I don't know. There's something missing from him for me during this time period. He doesn't impress me that much compared to, you know, the other top guys. Because, you know, he was considered one of the top guys on the Indies at the time. And I don't know. I just feel like he was, um, like I said, when, when he gets off his game, he just gets really off his game. And I. I I don't see him performing in ROH at the high level thus far that guys like uh, Dragon and Loki and even even London um, do uh, on a regular basis. I don't know how you feel about him at this point. That's
0: that's a great point because actually one thing I was kind of writing in my notes to myself was that um, Paul London has something that Spanky is missing where there's an excitement when you watch Paul London here where – I want to see what Paul London does next in Ring of Honor, even though I've already seen it. But like I get that excitement. And with Spanky, I don't leave dissatisfied, but generally in his performances so far, I don't leave hungry to see the next Spanky match. I'm not going like I can't wait for Spanky against this guy or this guy. He almost seems like he's not mailing it in, but he's a very professional, talented guy. But it's not going to be too often where he just absolutely blows you away. At least at this point in his career, it felt like. Right.
1: I mean, he certainly improves. Um, But yeah, I mean, I guess I watch him and I see that he's good, but I don't necessarily see him being on the level of a lot of the other better guys. He does have a lot of charisma, though. I will say that.
0: Yeah. And maybe, maybe our feelings towards him right now are more pronounced because watching these early Ring of Honor shows, it's so obvious that Gabe and them really all the people behind ring of honor obviously really were thinking this guy was going to be a big major player and they were giving him a lot of screen time backstage compared to some other guys. And at this point, you know, a big long winning streak compared to everyone else. I mean, he still hasn't lost at this point. And so when someone gets that much of a push, I guess you do also kind of expect a little more. Right. Exactly. So, we go one nice thing about the show is not a ton of segments at certain points, because they have so many matches to squeeze in. So we're going right to the third in the first third first round match of the ROH title tournament. And that would be Jay Briscoe versus Doug Williams. And Doug Williams defeats Jay Briscoe here in six seventeen by pinfall after his Chaos Theory suplex. And this was a match where I felt like it felt like both guys were just getting through it to move on to other things. That the focus of the match wasn't really the match because there's two things that are going on here. The first thing is midway through the match, Mark Briscoe comes to ringside. And at that point, all the commentators can talk about largely is Mark Briscoe. The cameras are focusing on Mark Briscoe to the point where the guy with like the mobile handheld camera at ringside – Walks right, to, right in Mark Briscoe's face, and then for the, like the next minute of the match, every twenty seconds or so, we'll see him turn and stick his little camera right in Mark Briscoe's face, and then someone doing the editing will press the button to transition from hard camera to handheld camera, and we'll get an intense close up of Mark Briscoe going, "Come on, Jay," so I and it it becomes pretty distracting in that point from focusing on the match, at least for me, and. Then the other part of it was them kind of introducing us to Doug Williams. And Steve Carino, particularly here, really goes in on UK wrestling. And I realized that UK wrestling was not the vibrant scene it is today, where you could argue that the United Kingdom has the hottest wrestling scene possibly in the world right now. But Steve Carino, during this match, is talking about how U.K. wrestling is pretty much god-awful and saying – it's in, he outright says it's inferior to the U.S. and Japanese scenes, which is kind of a weird touch when you're – this is the show where you're bringing in three guys from the U.K. and you're just kind of burying the scene they're coming from. And then Steve says the Ring of Honor title is one of the most prestigious titles out there and that Doug winning it would not only make him one of the U.K.'s biggest stars, but it would also bring wrestling credibility to the United Kingdom. And bear in mind, at this point, the Ring of Honor title doesn't even technically exist yet. So, uh, it's just uh, all this stuff on the commentary made it hard for me to focus on the match. But as for the match, you know, it's six minutes. Jay gets to hit a few of his big moves. I really still continue to like his uh, top rope leg drop. Uh, You know... Doug Williams gets to exhibit a tiny bit of his chain wrestling and gets to, you know, show off some of the stuff he can do. And it's not horrible, but it just feels like, you know, Williams is saving himself, you know, for the next match. He's got Jay's, you know, all the focus is just on that he'll he's his feud with Mark is continuing. And it seems like what's actually happening in this match is kind of the lat the least important thing going on.
1: Yeah, uh, I would say i like this a decent amount more than you did um i don't think it was particularly good match but i thought you know it was the introduction of doug williams and i thought he looked so good like i mean i don't mean physically although that you know i'm sure he looks great also that way but like his wrestling like he just he looks he looked like a different class of wrestler than even a lot of the guys on this show um you know even a lot of the better roh guys um and I thought Jay looked really determined because he was actually getting to wrestle like a real good wrestler for once on uh, on one of these shows. You know, as opposed to another kind of, you know, like um, inexperienced indie level guy. Um, I do think that at this point, Jay just hadn't developed enough good, like normal offense. Uh, it was just everything he did pretty much was, you know, either a mat wrestling or a really big move. And I don't think he could really make a good match that way. Um, but, the but you know, like I said, Williams looked great. Uh, the crowd went nuts for the chaos theory. Um, you know, I agree with you about Carino being weirdly uh, negative about UK wrestling. I forget if it was this match or the other match, but he was talking about how Williams is great, and he didn't get great by watching tapes of UK wrestling. He got great by watching the Americans. Oh, yeah. Um, all that stuff. And he, he also says at one point, when talking about the Briscoes feuding, he says, great wrestling families, don't air their dirty laundry in public, and I was like, that's one of the least true things I've ever heard anyone say, um, but but I, I thought, you know, I thought it was a good display for Doug Williams, I thought he was really impressive, uh, re- immediately.
0: I, I didn't think things were bad, I just, I think for me, the commentary was taking me out of the match, and obviously, it's only six minutes, and I think the main goal of this match was, like you said, to uh, show off Doug Williams. I think obviously one thing you notice about Doug Williams right off the bat is, you know, he has a really good physique for the Indies. Even now he would, you know, he's very packed with muscle and thick definition. And as for you talking about how good Doug Williams looks, I have actually a few little quotes from The Observer at the time that I'm going to sprinkle on just little opinions from Dave's live reports and from personally watching the show. And he actually would heartily agree with you on Doug Williams because Dave at the time said – Doug Williams, who has to be the most underrated wrestler in the world, has improved noticeably since the last time I have seen him, which was on the English Bravo special against Eddie Guerrero. I really can't see why Williams isn't a regular in either WWE or one of the Japan groups, because he's not a junior heavyweight but has excellent skills. I can of see WWE in that he doesn't look glamorous and his excellent mat wrestling wouldn't work since there isn't a lot of mat wrestling in the WWE product. But he'd be a great mid-card foreigner who fans would take to once they see him in any of the major Japanese groups. And so, you know, Dave qualifies a lot of his indie praise, I noticed at this time, for for indie workers. But that's about as glowing as an endorsement, outright calling him the most underrated wrestler in the world.
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, he still had to throw in that he um, his, he wouldn't be able to get over in WWE because of his style of wrestling. But... um. You know, he doesn't say it quite as harshly as he does for a lot of other guys. And can, By the way, Dave continued to do that stuff for like another 10 years basically when he would talk about indie guys.
0: Yeah, uh, I can tell that's going to be a big bugaboo for you. And it, it is a bit to me, but I also kind of like that it shows kind of how the mindset has changed about things. But, but I still yeah.
1: think he was wrong then also. That's all I'm saying.
0: And obviously things, some, things somewhat did change from what Dave was making with these comments, but also... Dave didn't really see that things would change. You know, right. guys that he kind of under, kind of wrote off to some degree, actually did overachieve. But to be fair, you know, there some of these guys are guys that I kind of wrote off, even though I love them. You know, I never thought, for example, that Brian Danielson would get as far as he did in my wildest dreams. And I love that he did.
1: Yeah, I never thought he would get that far. That's true. I did think that... He he could be a top heel when he came in i I definitely thought that my my biggest thing, my biggest pet peeve. I might have mentioned this on another one of the shows is just when Dave says that a guy can't get over because of the style he works, and I'm just like, but if someone's good, they can adapt to another style like just like the the idea that somebody can only do one thing just it drives me nuts like that that that's the thing that bugs me
0: or also sometimes if a guy's really good at a new style, it can get over in a new place like generally things people haven't seen before unless they're really flashy high flying don't get over until they see it for a while first you know right exactly. Rome isn't built in a day so yeah there's some day stuff like that but still again it's nice to see Doug Williams here and we'll continue to see him in Ring of Honor and I'm just seeing there's I don't think there's anything else here we're going to the next match which is Another first-round match, as a lot of these are going to be. It's a 16-man tournament, and that would be Johnny Storm versus Jody Fleisch. Two more UK guys, and jo- Jody Fleisch beats Johnny Storm here in seven minutes, one second, by pinfall after hitting a power bomb, kind of countering a Johnny Storm move. Um, Matt, how did you feel about this match? Uh,
1: how long did you say it was?
0: Seven minutes, one second.
1: It felt even a little shorter than that, but I wasn't crazy about this. Um, first of all, early on they mentioned that – or I think it was Carino – that Storm and Fleisch have wrestled 150 times. And I don't think it was good enough considering that. They botched so much stuff. They tried a lot of stuff, a lot of flips. Um, they were um, – they botched a backdrop and then redid it, which I is, a, is an annoying thing when somebody botches something, when they just go right back to it. Um, they have some cool stuff. Fleisch hits a springboard, shooting star press. Um, but it's just, it's just really sloppy. Um, and I thought like that took the crowd out of it a little bit also. Um, I'll say that Fleisch looked a lot better than Storm. Uh, I don't know if you would agree with me yes. uh, with that. And I, I, the Storm come back to ROH Bidge, a, a little bit, right? Is there. Like-
0: uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I know for a fact, Jody Fleisch is going, we're going to see him some more in Ring of Honor. I am not sure about Storm.
1: Yeah. So, um, Storm hits what's called a what Donnie B calls a quote rewind Frankensteiner, and then he goes for a second one, but Fleisch catches him in a power bomb and gets the win and there's a please come back chant, but I don't know. I um I thought this match was kind of a mess.
0: Ooh, see this is good because I felt like we agree I'm I'm never gonna force anything on these shows about agreement or dissension, but we have agreed a lot, and this is something I actually I would say fairly disagree with you. I uh i um I like this i I thought there were some botches. The botches for some reason didn 't bother me that much, and I think what I liked about this was it's they didn 't get a ton of time like a, most of these first round matches aren 't going to get much time. They got seven minutes, and even with the botches, even how choreographed it was, even though there was almost zero psychology or selling or anything. You know, the, you could tell they were going all out. They were they were trying their hardest to impress these fans, and I was impressed with. There were still moves, even 15 years later, that I thought were kind of big wow things. I think even in, you know in 2002 a springboard shooting star press, that's a huge deal. Even now, I still think that's a really cool dive. Stuff like his uh, kind of springboard 720 DDT, I think all that stuff's really cool, and. I guess why I'm impressed with that stuff holding up is because of all wrestling, the stuff that, ho- that ages the quickest and uh, holds up the worst are matches like this, which are just built around kind of flash and dazzle that aren't anything really story-based, no psychology, no selling, no character really. It's just crazy spots. And I realize it's only been 15 years, but kind of after seeing the, all the whipwreck student matches, on these first ring of honor shows i feel like these guys did the car wreck crazy spot fest still with all the botches that make it a car wreck but they they gave me what i think gabe was hoping those matches would produce that but didn't this gave me this gave me it, it you know there was parts of it that weren't good at all but it it at least impressed me on that kind of visceral level of it's fast i'm seeing guys do crazy things they're not hitting everything
1: yeah, I, I I just thought there were too many botches. I just wasn't feeling it. I mean, I, I I appreciate that they were working really hard, but I just I just don't think that they executed the way they wanted to. That's just, yeah. just just that's just how it appeared to me.
0: There there were some major botches, and you brought up the biggest one, which is they botch a backdrop. But there's another one they botch. Not I don't know if you would call it an outright botch, but. Um, there's a sequence where Fleisch and Storm are trading pinning combinations, which is common for these kind of matches. They've had and a lot one... of
1: those on this show, actually.
0: Yeah, and at one point Fleisch has F- Storm in a pinning combination, but Storm's shoulder isn't quite down. It's in the middle of them trading like ten pin attempts, different roll ups and stuff, and the ref treats it as a as a real deal, as a shoot, so to speak, where he won't count it until that shoulder's down, and Fleisch. Kind of barely move storm and you can look at him just pleading in his eyes for the ref like please just count this because we want to get to the next eight like pin attempts we have and to me that and the backdrop spot where they just immediately repeated it, it definitely showed that this was the kind of match where these guys had moved 1 to 87 plotted out probably and if move 47 or something like didn't work, they were screwed. They were going to keep doing move forty six or forty seven until it worked, because otherwise they weren't going to get to move forty eight. Like it was just even little deviations like that. The fact that like they couldn't just improvise, it kind of does did show where they were probably at as workers at that point.
1: Yeah, that's I, a, that's a good observation. Um, I um, I'm like the, I have the philosophy, and I I know probably a lot of people disagree with me, but I don't agree with the whole thing where refs try to like do it like it's legitimate. I think refs should just go along with what the wrestlers want the match to be. And if it's if they count a pin and it's a little suspect like okay, it's the wrestler's fault, but just do it anyway because it makes the match work better. That's that's sort of how I feel. I don't know about you, but
0: well, yeah, I agree because especially with um With referees, like – referees are not infallible in real sports. So even if they make something where you or I would look and go, oh, he counted on that and his shoulder wasn't quite down. Well, referees in real sports miss calls all the time in in the middle of action. So, yeah, it it seems like this idea where in this fake sport where so many crazy things happen that the ref has to treat it like an absolute real thing to the point of even like none of us would have noticed – if he had just counted that pin attempt as real, like that, the fact that Johnny Storm's shoulder was an inch off the mat, but it disrupted their whole segment. But I still thought the way Fleisch reacted to it was pretty funny. Um, something you wanted to say?
1: Well, I also have a controversial viewpoint as far as referees, which is I know a lot of people will disagree with this one. I could care less about the legal man in tag matches. Like, just make the match exciting. I don't even pay attention to who the legal man is. I don't really think it's that important that the rules seem perfectly followed. But I guess we can get to that when we see some tag matches because I'm <laughs> sure there are plenty of tag matches in ROH where that will be a thing.
0: Matt, do you hate referees?
1: No. I uh, I love referees, which is why I think that we should stop forcing them to do all these annoying things as if they're actually officiating a real contest. <laughs> uh, they're, uh, actor, I- they're actors pretending to be referees. <laughs> Right? Isn't that
0: what they're doing? <laughs> I don't know why that's funny, but it is. I like that. Did you like, that almost exasperated Like, do you know what they're doing? But um, I guess one more thing we should get to before we move on from this match, Some, a piece of background I thought was interesting was Steve Crean at one point says that Fleisch and Storm have wrestled each other 150 times right. at this point. I don't know if that's true, but I do know they had wrestled each other a lot, and they were kind of a, a touring match. And in fact, they, this was near the end of uh, U, a little mini U.S. tour. Fleisch and Storm took, and they had worked in NECW and CZW, and worked each other in in those indies during the same kind of two week period. And apparently, from live reports at the time, both of those matches were better and less botchy than this match. In fact, the CCW match was during their best of the best tournament, and although Fleisch and Storm, neither of them won the tournament. I guess they gave out awards for uh, Best Individual Wrestler in the Tournament and Best Match, and Fleisch won for Best Wrestler, and, St- and Storm and Flesh won-, won together for Best Match. Well, you, so- know,
1: you know why that is? Because they put on their best foot forward because they knew that was only one tournament, and this was just one of four tournaments, so they knew <laughs> that they had plenty of other people that could uh- – take the mantle from them
0: yeah they they could really lay lay on the brake a bit pump the brakes on this Mm -hmm. and the other thing that's a bit interesting is um there might be another reason for some of the botches because in the observer from the time dave notes fleisch versus johnny storm this is him judging from live reports wasn't as good as response was uh, from responses as some of their previous matches were on the tour as they missed a few spots but also did some spectacular moves fleisch Storm, Sumi Sakai, and Doug Williams barely made the show after being caught in horrible traffic, which made their drive from Boston take something like nine hours Holy fuck. and that <laughs> that may have accounted for Fleisch and Storm being a little rusty oh my God so, so that's one thing to think when you think about storm and and Fleisch and Williams is apparently they had like the drive from hell to just to get here to philly for the show
1: oh that's very uh. Boy, that's just painful to hear. Nine hours going from Boston to, oh my God.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to give you nightmares tonight. Uh But uh, yeah, so that was that. And now we, we actually do get a little backstage segment. It's a little attempt at comedy. It's Jerry Lynn's backstage, and apparently he had just eaten a banana because the Christopher Street Connection now want to see him eat another banana. Uh, Lynn says he's not really hungry, but he's going to oblige them anyway and eat a second banana when Prince Nada walks in. And so, of course, the Christopher Street Connection, being the Christopher Street Connection, start commenting on his scepter. Wink. At which point, Lynn gives like the most uh, weak-willed help, help, and just walks out of the room. And then the Christopher Street connection to a bit more of their Christopher Street shtick. But what I loved about this was uh so Lynn leaves he walks through the open door down the hallway holding the second banana he was about to eat and then as the Christopher Street connection are doing their skit you can see Jerry Lynn walk back in the other direction seconds later kind of peer in and realize oh the segment's still going on and he's eating the banana and then he keeps <laughs> walking in the other direction and I thought that was just a really cute kind of indie thing well also
1: this is that's fun because this is that particular scene is jerry lynn's ring of honor debut so (laughs) so that's worth noting um
0: that is your first exposure in ring of honor to jerry lynn
1: exactly if if you've never seen jerry lynn before except for this tape um
0: future ring of honor champion jerry lynn eating bananas in his opening segment
1: as far as homophobic wrestling angles go i feel like this one was pretty acceptable mostly because you know you had jerry lynn basically having fun with it instead of being horribly angry that he's in the presence of two gay men. So, th- I'm I'm mostly okay with this.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all in the reaction. He, he I mean, it was very kind of like Jerry Lynn in these in the a couple of the segments we're going to see tonight comes off as, a, off as a very kind of low-key, chill, kind of amiable man. And, you know, he does not re- even when he leaves, he does not react with disgust or any urgency. It's just like Okay, this is getting weird. Gonna go eat my banana in the hallway. I mean, it's nothing. It's nothing compared to what we've seen for the last three shows.
1: Yeah. Now, like, to to you know for to um and when it comes to this kind of stuff, like to call out a wrestling promotion for you know homophobia or misogyny or racism or whatever, you know, you're being pretty selective because every wrestling promotion. Ever has been guilty of that for years unfortunately and i guess all of us listening to this have decided that we you know we can look past it enough to keep watching so the but the issue with roh was the the violent anger with which um they presented their homophobia is what i think um, made it much more egregious than even the normal level i mean it's always bad but like i said we uh we let it slide so many other times but this was just over the top this what what happened in this segment that we just talked about this is more in the in the realm of like normal like all right well it's wrestling kind of stuff
0: yeah we we can we can um argue about how damaging it is to just have um very over the top kind of extreme case stereotypes of different things are right. which obviously the, the Christopher Street connection are but at least in segments like this it doesn't feel like the joke is on them and that a bunch of vitriol is being aimed at them you know
1: vitriol is especially the part that made me so uncomfortable
0: yeah i mean I, I like going to what you said i agree because at this point it's almost like they've done so much i can settle just for the stereotype like okay it's just a crazy stereotype it's not like gay bashing. Okay, like you've you've beaten me down enough where I'm not even going to question this now. Like, good. Right, right. So, and that's how society decays, kids.
1: But, exactly. Uh, let me. I'll, I will comment on the show at this point. Up, up, up to this point in the show, to me, it felt like the first ROH show that actually felt kind of like a proper wrestling show. Like, where like from early on, there are a bunch of matches where the guys are trying and have a chance to have a good match, and there are stakes you know i think the undercard and a lot of the other shows just felt like a bunch of like really meaningless indie matches that didn't mean anything or didn't feel developed in any way and it's not like there have been great matches so far in this show and there have been a couple of quick ones but they it just felt more substantial so far and i think that's that's a big turn for roh just the fact that they're putting on an undercard with substance
0: i i agree and also again um, by having so many of these matches in, in, on the show, they they have to um, they have to cut out a lot of the segments, you know. So things just flow faster. I mean, so many uh, even in this review, I keep having to like almost pinch myself because as I look at my notes, I'm like, oh, there isn't another crazy segment. It's just another match following a match. Like, oh boy, exactly. so and we get science a mixture of crazy segment and match here which is Loki versus Prince Nana another first round match in the Ring of Honor tournament title tournament and Loki beats Prince Nana at 353 after a knockout and this match it's it, well it's almost not a match in a weird way it's Nana attacks Loki right before the opening bell he he dominates low key the whole match, and you would think that would be interesting because that's such a role reversal. You know, we're not used to key being kind of that vulnerable. And um, the problem is Nana's offense is super super pedestrian. He does mostly just a bunch of repetitive clubbering in the corner. I I know Nana had was wrestling longer matches in other places like. Uh, I think JPW or somewhere at this time, but here it's a fairly four-minute match, and it feels like he doesn't even have enough offense to fill four minutes.
1: He did a bunch of butt splashes, yeah, at least three of them.
0: He, I think he went for he hit three and missed his fourth. I will say, I think he has one of the best butt splashes in wrestling. I thought that was the highlight of his offense because they actually look like they're coming in pretty hard. But we get about you know almost all of this being nana dominating and then loki fires back with some chops he uh hits one big kick to the head and nana sells the ref sells this and nana sells this like nana is knocked out cold and we get a few minutes then of people rushing the ring you know i think gabe rob sapolsky rob feinstein
1: Rudy Boy um, is out there.
0: Rudy Boy. So, And they're really trying e- – Elax, who was um, Nana's uh, a cu- kind of a ring boy coming with him to the ring for the match, is it rushes in. And they really try to sell this as a knockout. Carino kind of treats this like a scary thing. And I don't know for – I tried researching this. I don't know for a fact or not if this was a real knockout or not. I know reading in the newsletters at the time – Dave treated this like it was an angle. I kn- I know people who have r- wrote, watched. All, I know. I think the Death Valley Drivers guys. I think in their review, they kind of treated it like an angle. I'm of the mind to treat it like an angle because um, Elax is doing this comical fanning of Nana the whole time, which I think you wouldn't do if a guy was legit concussed and knocked out, and you know everybody else was really being serious, attending to him, but. It could have been a real knockout, but I don't think it was.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Just based, I think that would have been known sooner, you know. Because especially since Sapolsky yeah. talked to Meltzer at the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, is there anything you have to say about this? I mean, it's
1: mm, not not really. I think yeah. I thought it was fairly good booking. Uh, I you know I, I I actually think it was well done. Just um, just that first of all, to have Loki dominated by Nana of all people. I think that's a that is a good role reversal, even if Nana couldn't quite pull it off in an interesting way. And then the whole key knocking him out thing—I don't know—I think that's a that's good booking. I think it, it it makes just for something different. You know, they weren't going to have a great match, um, so just do something different and cool. And I think it got over, so I um, I give it a thumbs up, assuming See, it was, I, assuming he didn't really get hurt.
0: I, I would give the segment a thumbs down just because of how repetitive it was, and also because it The point of the segment was to get low-key, I guess, over as a killer, which to me is something you did not need to do. Like, he already was. But I'll say I can recognize when I'm completely wrong about something, like my opinion is off the beaten path. Because when Loki comes out for his second match, the first thing you hear the crowd chanting is, you killed Nana. So obviously it made an impression on them and accomplished what they were setting out to do.
1: Yeah, like I said, what, I mean, what would have been the better alternative for them to have a match? You know, like, I, I yeah. didn't doesn't seem like it, so.
0: Yeah, I, I just don't know if Nana versus Loki is like I, want, I wanted to see in the first place. But um, we go to the next backstage segment where we're seeing Jerry Lynn again. He's rocking the headphones, and Xavier comes by, and he t- refers to Jerry Lynn as Jerry Lynn, which I thought was kind of – Cute in a very too prim and proper way, and he welcomes him to the Ring of Honors with an S at the end. And <laughs> Z- Z- <laughs> Xavier, I, don't wants know why to I find th- that so funny. <laughs> all the I'm gonna miss when people st- start getting Ring of Honor right, like I love all these little variations we're seeing, yeah. But um, Xavier wants to know what music Lynn is rocking, and Lynn's like very amiable, low, mellow, like hey, hey, give it a try, hands on the headphones, and um. Then Xavier's like, liking it. And Lin's, he, Xavier asks Lynn, Is it available at Walmart? And Jerry Lynn's kind of like, miffed, like, What? And, he's like, and he goes, Try relapse.com. <laughs> and um, I looked it up. Relapse.com is still a thing in 2017 for people who want to check it out. And if you want to hear Jerry Lynn's, some of his favorite death metal, whatever. Um, I thought I thought I wrote here on um, Jerry Lynn, is, even when Jerry Lynn is doing oddly placed ads for music sites, he still comes off as a chill, likable guy.
1: Now, do you think Jerry Lynn like just had like buddies who ran that record label, or like had some sort of promotional deal with them, or or what?
0: I, I think he was like Gabe. Let me tell you something. You can take a hundred bucks off the booking price. You let me do a one-minute segment where I plug Relapse.com. Yeah,
1: I really do wonder if he had like some sort of stake in that in that company or not. I, I'm just very curious now. But it obviously worked because here we are plugging it 15 years later. That's sneaky Jerry Lynn. He just knows how to he knows how to promote.
0: This is like the most valuable bond where it just slowly pays dividends over, <laughs> like. There's going to be 20 years from now a podcast about this podcast, and they're going to mention our segment about Relapse.com, which will give them a third plug. So this is, That I is mean, a
1: dystopian future, my friend.
0: If that's the worst thing that happens in 20 years, we're doing pretty good. It's true. <laughs> but then we get another brief little segment where the SAT and Divine Storm wish red luck. And I like that um, – they do kind of acknowledge that the SAT and Red were kind of getting into disagreements for the last couple shows because the SAT say, hey, basically let bygones be bygones. And they tell Red he'll always be SAT. So I thought, oh, but it was just, again, a very one of those classic kind of early Ring of Honor segments. That's literally probably 20, 30 seconds. And it's just there to kind of give a little bit of connective tissue to things.
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, yeah, it was, this was fine, I guess. Nothing, nothing yeah. much to it.
0: I just had to archive it because this is going to be the one archival document of Ring of Honor after all video media is destroyed in the Great Plague of 2019. Yes. So we'll archive the match that comes next, which is The Amazing Red taking on Xavier in a Ring of Honor title tournament first round match. The Amazing Red here wins in 420. <laughs> Uh, by pinfall after uh, shooting Star Press. And uh, uh, I think I went last. So, Matt, did you have any th- – I'm putting you in the position again. of do- How many thoughts do you have about a match that went four minutes, 20 seconds?
1: Uh, okay. Well, I'm going to my notes because of, I think of all the matches on the show, I remember this one the least. Um, <laughs> so um, Xavier catches Red on a corkscrew um, a dive and hits a power bomb. So that was cool. Um, read uh Ronix Xavier who turns it into a uh I guess sort of like a headstand springboard kick. Um I'd say Xavier looks better in spot fest type matches than he does in wrestling matches. I think that was mm-hmm. one observation that I had, um, because I thought this was probably the best that he looked. Um
0: I agree. I wrote that too, like word for word, this is the best in my opinion that Xavier's looked in Ring of Honor.
1: Yeah, I definitely think so. Um there's a lot of moves. Uh, in this 4 minutes and 20 seconds, there's literally no selling. But, you know, I guess that's just kind of what you expect. Um, Red kicks out of the kiss your ex goodbye head drop thing. And he misses, uh, Xavier misses a 450. Red uh, go, does like a rope walk flipping DDT for two. Uh, and he wins with a spin kick. Um, infra- and infrared and standing shooting star press. Um, and, there you know, there was no psychology or selling at all but uh it was entertaining and less sloppy than most red matches so far uh so i think uh it was fine you know it was it was i thought it was solidly entertaining and in my opinion less um less distractingly botchy than uh the the Jody Fleisch match
0: mhm it was def yeah definitely even more compact and I mean, I like Spot Fest. It's not always my favorite kind of wrestling, but I can I really do like a good one when it's good. But, I
1: mean, it's just fun, yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and for a match like this,
1: uh,
0: I don't blame anyone if they get four minutes of going this route. I mean, how much else can you do? So I thought Xavier, when he's just throwing big moves, he looked about as good as he uh, he ever has. Uh, he countered, I think, like a Red Rana attempt or something into a huge power bomb where he really dropped red looked really good but of course red's really easy to pick up especially when you have the physique of an xavier but yeah i thought this was the best xavier's looked and ironically he loses this match i thought um red looked like he wouldn't have been fun to wrestle in this match because he really kind of crushes xavier on a dive to the outside and talks to him for a good five seconds and whenever he does the big infrared like twisting splash, he, I would say over half the time he lands really hard on the guy's legs because he can – it's like he can do these crazy flips, but he can't really then control where he lands because yeah. it's so hard. And I just – it's one of those guys where I look at him I go, ooh, uh, I, if I was wrestling, you would be one of the guys I would least want to wrestle in in some cases. And one thing that I thought was a bit funny was – well, actually a couple things. The first was – When Red walks through the curtain, people who have the show, because I know some people have said they're watching along. If you missed this the first time, go back and tell me if I'm right about this. Red walks through the curtain. And he has like a drink of water and he does like the kind of I'm going to take a sip and spit in the air kind of thing. But Red makes the rookie mistake of spitting the water in the air and immediately walking into the water. So it gets <laughs> all over his face and he has to wipe it off as he's walking <laughs> walking down the ramp. I mean walking down the entranceway. So I wrote so there – So Red,
1: Red I, doesn't even have aim when it comes to his spitting spots.
0: <laughs> I wrote a rookie mistake there, my friend. And um, I thought the other thing that was funny was – red has this weird kind of hand gesture where he kind of puts his hands up and it's just, it's hard to describe like a weird double hand gesture that he was trying to make a kind of a signature thing. I guess since we're only very shortly removed from the diamond cutter, signature hand gestures in wrestling were more of a thing because he was trying to do one and Xavier always does the kind of goofy, just crosses arms and an X above his head thing. And I thought what was cute was at the end of the match, um, red actually wins it's kind of like a xavier might have kicked out a 2.9 but xavier's a good sport and you know congratulates red anyway and then they both do their signature hand gestures to each other it's like a show <laughs> of respect and i laughed out loud watching that because it was so goofy but yet i loved it and the only other one other thing i gotta mention here you know trying to sprinkle you know sparingly these donny b gems but there was one where um Red does some high-flying move, and Donnie goes – he calls it one of those flippy doodah things I don't know how to really pronounce correctly. And at this point, I almost like yelled at my screen, you're the announcer. You're the play-by-play guy, and you're almost like bragging. Like are a number of times during these shows that Donnie mentions – I don't know what that's called, like almost boastfully – like what kind of person named Don would like boast about things they don't know? I, yeah, I don't yeah. get it.
1: Like I said, he's just – he's very presidential.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean I, I guess there's not much else to say about a 420-minute match. Because
1: you forgot it because you were partaking in a burrito. Yes.
0: Yes. The most special of burritos. I'm going to save half of it for later uh i don't smoke weed don't do it kids
1: no I, but, we just we just established you eat it in burritos
0: i'm i'm more likely to smoke a ham but um eat healthy too kids i'm full of warnings right now anyway um we get a segment next this is falling apart where uh Xavier, The camera follows Xavier backstage, and Christopher Daniels is waiting, and he's mad. And he's mad at Xavier because he expected him to make it to the second round to take out Low-Key for him. And then Daniels gets in Red's face and really yells at him that, Red, you know, you better beat Low-Key. And Red kind of shies away like he's a a scared kid, which I thought was kind of cute and kind of an interesting choice. He doesn't stand out to him. And Xavier then tells Daniels to pick on someone his own size. So... Seeds, again, possibly being planted for something that may happen in a few Ring of Honor shows coming from now. Wink, wink.
1: Yeah, uh, spoiler alert, they're planning for the thing that's definitely happening in a couple of shows.
0: Yes, and I, I do think it, it is cool that they're playing little seeds like this. And it's another little segment. And then we get one more before the next match where um, – NECW promoter Sheldon Goldberg interrupts a Scoot Andrews backstage photo shoot to introduce him to Sumi Sakai, who is a Japanese women's wrestler, and it is the most awkward segment where it's like, I'd like you to meet Sumi Sakai, and Scoot Andrews reacts like you would react if someone was introducing you to somebody you had no idea who they were and didn't care who they were. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, how did they decide to put this on the tape? It's like, shooting it, okay, you have an idea, and it just clearly goes badly, and then they just are like, all right, well, that's fine, whatever. Yeah, it's just literally, the entire segment is um, Scoot Andrews standing there, I guess someone's taking pictures of him posing, which is also, I think, a little bit weird, but um <laughs> the developer comes up and like, hey, I want to introduce you to Sumi Sakai, and they... <laughs> Just stand there and look around awkwardly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really all that it, it's
0: really all it is. And there's actually quite a few laughs on this show.
1: Yeah, I, I just but this one is definitely not intentionally funny, yeah, and I, I just can't imagine any of the people involved, whether it's uh, you know I guess probably Gabe who's um, you know behind the scenes and the camera person and the wrestlers and Sheldon Goldberg, and no one's like, okay what 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 what's supposed to be happening here? Like is, is this just supposed to be a slice of life uh, where we show what an awkward silence is like? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so random.
0: Yeah, just completely. I mean, it's building to a segment that's going to come very quickly, but it's something you really don't even need to build to.
1: Even even with this, that segment doesn't really make a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like why? W- like we're we'll get get Sheldon that, Goldberg yeah. doing this to everybody backstage? Like <laughs> yeah. Frank Talent? I'd like you to meet Simi Sakai. You know. Yeah. Low-key, quit growling for a second. I'd like to introduce you to Sumi Zakai from the Jake promotion.
1: I actually think Uh, if if they had shown that, that would have made this make a little more sense.
0: Just a montage with a different star wipe every time.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because of all the stars.
0: (laughs) Um, The next match in the first round of the Ring of Honor title tournament, it was Christopher Daniels um, defeating Scoot Andrews by two by um, by Pinfall in two minutes twenty eight seconds after a double jump moonsault this was the shortest match of the first round and of the night and before the match Daniels gets on the house mic and says his goals to destroy Ring of Honor and what I thought was funny about this was. Christopher Daniels, yet again, got a really good face reaction coming out. And even when he says he's going to destroy Ring of Honor, I would say at best the crowd split goes down to maybe 50-50. Like, they're so not buying into it and like him so much that even when he says, I want to kill the promotion you just are currently watching, half the fans are still like, yay, yeah, Christopher Daniels, ruin this. And uh, Carino has to kind of sell, you know, the, the fans might like him, but the boys in the back hate him because he just he disrespects the code of honor.
1: As if anyone and, should care, right? Like, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> on show four. And again, it's always... A, I mean, this will be something that will happen quite a lot in wrestling in 2017, but the idea of commentators having to sell a guy as being a bad guy when the crowd is clearly cheering him, which, you know, Ring of Honor, as always, ahead of their time. And... Then Christopher Daniels announces – this is the official announcement of The Prophecy, which would be the very first stable in Ring of Honor history. And he announces that the first member is Simply Luscious, which an interesting choice for your first member of your sta- stable. And what I think is interesting that they don't really acknowledge here is on the last show, Simply Luscious in the backstage segment complains to Rob Feinstein about not having good enough stuff to do in Ring of Honor. And in the, on this show, she gets something better to do, which is be part of the prophecy. So that begs the question, is Rob Feinstein the secret mastermind of the prophecy? Is he the higher power to this?
1: Well, notice he goes away a few years later as soon as Daniels does.
0: So. Oh, my God. Follow the money, man.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe maybe Daniels and Feinstein are the same person. Hmm? <laughs> well, no, well um, I will say um, – I think the thing is, like like I said, in early ROH, it's almost impossible to be a heel unless you just suck. Um, and Daniels, I thought, I think at this point in his career, this might be the most entertaining he ever was at any point that I've watched him. Well, and that includes uh, TNA, that includes uh, later ROH. I think he's, his character is funny, he has good matches, and... Um, I don't know. I think he's just he's perf- he's performing at a really high level during this time. So, considering the type of audience that they're going for, I, it's hard to imagine people booing him.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're calling on him like to lean on him really heavy as kind of the one big heel, the guy who leads the first stable, and you know the the one guy that really has some can really do a. Not only just a promo that has charisma in it, but that you can get across kind of bullet points. And you can tell in these first shows, they're leaning on him heavily because of that. And he's he's coming through, you know. Maybe he looks even better because he's doing things that no one else on the show at this point in these early shows can do. But, I mean, he does come off, I agree, like better than I remembered, especially just about these little – These little promos that I didn't maybe appreciate as much as I do now.
1: Yeah, I'd say one of the big surprises for me going back and watching these shows is, like, how strong of a claim Daniels has as being the MVP of that first year of ROH.
0: Yeah, I put him in my top ten. You didn't. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) But as for the match, I mean, I would say this is about as good as a two-minute, 28-second match can be. It was... They tried to jam a bunch of action in there. Um, there's not much to say other than it's a little surprising that Daniels wins clean as a sheet.
1: Yeah, I do want uh, I do want to throw one because this is from the beginning. Um, a really good Donnie B line.
0: Oh, uh, I don't know what – I want you to hear you say it so I can know if it's mine or well, not. Well, no. he
1: has a few good ones. But the one I say is: Scoot is quick to scoot to the ring. No pun intended. <laughs> I don't believe you, Donnie B.
0: And, okay, that is not mine. Mine isn't as much funny as it's just aggravating, which was um, – I forget what the exact line was. Oh, wait. He he did two things that were really dumb here. The first thing was um, he says that Christopher Daniels isn't well-versed in submissions when two Ring of Honor shows ago, he made American Dragon tap out with a submission. So that's Donnie B. gem one. But then the real Donnie B gem to me was that um, about 15 seconds before the end of the match, Donnie says that Daniels is making a mistake looking past Scoot, like a fatal error. And literally, I would say like 10, 15 seconds later, Daniels like hits the best, the, the best moonsault ever and wins clean. So which made Donnie B look like a complete idiot.
1: Yeah, uh, that's fine though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, two more shows of him <laughs> um but yeah, just a uh not much to say, yeah, quick match the, they
1: nothing match really like yeah
0: it it's interesting that you know they kind of built up scoot calling Daniels a pedophile on the last show, and then he kind of loses completely clean in two and a half minutes, like a bit like a chump, but um. That goes directly into a little post-match segment where Simply just gets on the mic. I can't really make out everything she's saying, but she's calling down Scoot Andrews. She uh, slaps him in the face and dares him to hit her. Now, at the time, Dave said from live reports that there was an Austin, Austin chant, I guess kind of referencing Austin's recent, at that time, domestic violence uh, accusations. I didn't hear it, but... um, Carino does something really creepy at this point, where simply luscious is daring Scoot to hit her, and Carino's like, "This is every man's dream," which just was like a cringeworthy, creepy comment.
1: Yeah, I um, so I was recently watching like very old, like very like late ECW, like like the I was probably it might have been the second to last pay per view they ever did, and there was a Carino promo at the beginning where he was waiting for uh, Don Marie to come to the promo. And, like, it was him and Jack Victory talking. This was when Carino was a face, mind you. And he goes um, to Jack Victory like, oh, where is Don Marie? And he goes, literally says, I hate women. So there's, like, there's a, there's a trend here on this, quote, character Steve Carino was playing at the time.
0: Well, judging from some things I've heard Carino refer – like the way Carino has talked about Simply Luscious, like post a relationship, maybe he was just kind of clairvoyant and talking about his own future thoughts. But Mm -hmm. um, Scoot here is about as much of a gentleman as you can be in this segment saying that he would never hit a woman, but he knows someone who will. And he brings out his old friend, <laughs> Sumi Sakai. and So
1: maybe that awkward silence was them communicating telepathically. Like, okay, so you're going to stand there and you're going to have my back if I call you out, right? Because I don't see anything that happened in that segment that would lead to any of this being possible.
0: <laughs> I love – Sumi comes out pandering with like a fresh, crisp red Phillies cap. So the classic easy pander of, hey, I like your sports team cheer for me on the face, just letting you know through the power of bats. And we get Sumi Sakai taking on Simply Luscious in an impromptu match. So this is the first women's, the first official women's match in, in Ring of Honor history, let it be known, is Sumi Sakai versus Simply Luscious. And Sumi Sakai beats Simply Luscious in 326 after a moonsault. Matt, what could you possibly have to say about this? Uh,
1: well... I think the, the biggest thing to note is this is still, you know, ROH's mission statement that we are not sports entertainment, we are wrestling, we are serious wrestling. They did not treat this any differently than the WWE at the time would have treated a women's match, probably less seriously than 2002 WWE would have. It's probably more like 99 WWF style. Um, Corino basically was Jerry Lawler in this match basically perving out on Simply Luscious. Um, there's no wrestling to speak of, just kind of moves and weak strikes. Um, Sakai hits two top rope drop kicks, Simply Luscious, um, uh, 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 Simply Luscious uh, gets body slammed, but it was totally botched. Um, Donnie B. literally says this. He literally says Simply Luscious is a machine in that ring. <laughs> what could have possessed him to say that
0: um you you know what possessed him you know I, they were dating donnie donnie
1: b not not carino
0: oh god I'll, i mixed them up on getting goddamn bad commentator dyslexic uh-huh. uh, donnie b oh my god like uh, I, Carino was horrible here I would say he was worse than Lawler yeah, oh, yeah. C- C-
1: C- yeah, Carino was worse than Lawler and worse than I'd say Donnie B was in any match I've ever heard
0: he, yes Carino outdid Donnie B here he um like again he's doing like the moans and intimating that he's going to need to jerk off after watching the match and um at one point Carino utters the phrase kicking her in the baby hatch oh my um God. <laughs> um you know Every time, like, you know, if Simply Luscious or is getting in an abdominal stretch, you know, Carino's nearly jizzing in his pants about it. And I wrote in my notes, I've seen women's wrestling matches wrestled in pudding that were treated with more respect than this match is being treated with. Not that it was deserving of a lot of respect, but it was a, a pretty damn sexist. I mean... Yeah,
1: and just
0: yeah, gross. Yeah, and... Obviously, too, the match was not good. Live reports that were sent at the time to Dave said um, Simply Luscious against Sumi Sakai was said to be worse than Backyard Wrestling. Now, I wouldn't go that far, but I will note they botched a, a body slam a couple times. Like, it's funny because an observer or two ago, you know, Dave said people were raving about the potential of Simply Luscious. She can't get up for a body slam here like they have like they have difficulty doing it.
1: Yeah, and I thought what's I didn't mention that Sumi wins with a moonsault, but like it doesn't really matter, right? Like Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. well, I just don't get, like if ROH is supposed to be what they're saying they are, what's the point of this? Like like I mean, I guess like you want to uh, display women's wrestling, but I know they were good women's wrestlers in 2002, right? Like they existed. Yeah. I, I don't I don't I don't see what they're trying to prove with this. It just it just makes it seem like another I mean, it's sports entertainment at its worst, I would say. Just like some of the other segments we've seen, like with the Christopher Street connection in the past.
0: And on a show with this much stuff going on, you did not need to jam a, a three-and-a-half-minute match. I mean, this got a minute more than and Daniels did, you know. It's just – you did not need to jam this into the show. I mean, you could have still done the Simply Luscious Joins the Prophecy, but you didn't need to have the impromptu match. I mean – I don't know. Maybe Sheldon Goldberg has a relapse.com level deal with Sumi Sakai or something, and he had to convince Ring of Honor to, to book her. But um, there's, yeah, I mean,
1: there's an ongoing storyline with Carino and Luscious and Rudy Boy that's, I yeah. guess, going to build to something. And I guess they thought this developed that, but no, it didn't. Uh, it didn't. No. Yeah,
0: no. Um, but then we go. We're, we're finally to the final match in the first round of the ring of honor title tournament. And that's the debuting Jerry Lynn taking on AJ styles and AJ styles wins here in 1530, which is the longest of the first round matches by, uh, I would say over five minutes.
1: And the long is it it the longest undercard ROH match uh, ever up to this point?
0: I'm not sure. Uh, I I forget how long low key at AJ was, I'm I'm not sure, but um, and I think one of the scrambled type weird Mikey Whipwreck student matches might have been around 15. Okay, but it, it's it's up there, and AJ wins here. He beats Jerry Lynn clean after the Styles Clash.
1: They show highlights of the match right before the match again.
0: As always, yes, they have the what we'll refer to as the biohazard problem of how do you do a highlight package for a guy that has never wrestled in your company before, and. Honestly, oh,
1: also, was... sorry, I don't, don't mean No, too go real, ahead. But there was a totally funny graphic at the beginning of the match that just kept flashing Jerry Lane and AJ Styles' names over and, over and over and over again. Oh yeah. And it was like phenomenal one new f and show like and just like like were written like 12 times underneath each other just like in the most basic like white graphics. Like it was just it was really funny. It was like what a sixth grader would do if they started playing with some of these like video editing uh software, uh, stuff. It's just, it was ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Ring of Honor at this point is, is reaching that sweet spot where they're trying to do more with production, but they still don't have any production skills. <laughs> I mean, it's not like they run a wrestling like tape place or anything. I mean, I mean, it's not like they do this for a living. It's, it's just so, I mean, I will give them a break, but yeah, it's not great. And this match, it's I, I'm going to be interested in hearing what you have to say about it because I thought this match was good, but it didn't it didn't connect with me. I, I uh, this match, you know, it's 50 minutes and it's all action. You know, they cut a really good pace here, and, and they're obviously trying, you know, t- trying hard, but this felt like the same match they would have had in TNA at this time or in another indie, if they were booked to main invent another indie. And again, it's another match with no psychology or story or selling. And it doesn't quite have the flash then to make up for it of some of the shorter matches. And the, and you know, you're getting it dragged out to 15 minutes. And again, it's impressive that they, uh, they keep up the pace for 15 minutes and I don't know if this is going to be a match that people will like more than me, but there's just something about it where it, – it's, it's weird. Um, I really like AJ Styles, particularly in the last few years. But at this time, I wasn't as hot on AJ as some other people were. And matches like this kind of feel like the reason why I wasn't because they're just not hitting me kind of maybe the way they're hitting other people. I mean what did you think?
1: I definitely liked it more than you. I, I – I... I do think there was selling in the match. I don't think it was like any like deep storyline or anything, but I I think they sold. You know, they 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 definitely sold like exhaustion. Um, you know, they, they the crowd was more into it early than they were late, and I guess that's a bad sign. I think, you know, once they get more they got got more mat based more toward like, you know, the 10-12 minute mark, they kind of lose the crowd, and then it just kind of um you know, they go into that whole, like, classic Lynn like, cradle sequence, like, like, like Storm and, uh, Fleisch tried to do earlier, and, and all that stuff, and, um, Styles hit the spiral tap for two, um, but then, then they have a miscommunication spot, and I think that hurts the momentum a little bit, and then AJ wins with the Styles clash, um, but I thought it was, it was a good, like, hard-fought match, you know, I, I didn't, it's not something memorable, and I would actually say that what they would do in TNA at this time were, was better than this. Um, it had a little more intensity. Felt like more was at stake. And I do think that these guys were trying a little harder in TNA actually at this point because um, they were like more showcase matches between them. But um, but I thought it was good. Um, it, it was interesting hearing them talk about TNA at the time because it still feels weird to hear them say NWA TNA, which is what it was called for a couple of years there, right? So. Um, mm-hmm. Like so, they always just said NWA TNA, which you know I, I almost like forgot about because it was such a small percent of TNA's history that it was actually called that. Um, but no, I thought I thought it was good. I uh, as good as it needed to be. Nothing's nothing special, but but pretty good. Um, it's interesting here because Jerry Lynn's you know he's there and he's actually only what a year removed from being uh, being in the WWF and. Um, Having his famous moment, where at the Judgment Day two thousand one pay per view, he was at WWF New York and yelled "Whoop de doo" to Jr.
0: <laughs> oh god, oh Jerry!
1: But uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I'd say I liked it. I liked it better than you. But it was, you know, like the three, three and a quarter star range.
0: Yeah, I mean, my star rating wouldn't be that much different. I, I, I think. Uh it's just probably a case of expectations, I I would assume, um, because this was kind of the marquee match of the first round. Like there was a lot of huge names in this tournament, but in the first round, a lot of them, you know, didn't have the most premier matchups. And obviously, with the this being the last match of the first round, and the idea that you know we're bringing in a f- pretty big ECW name. To come wrestle AJ and they gave it the most time, I kind of would have hoped for more, although I know AJ also has to save himself for another longer match on the same show, but not horrible. I, I I didn't think it was bad at all, but I would say for anyone that's expecting this, you know, if you're big fans of AJ and Jerry, it's probably not gonna be quite what uh you wanted. I think my audio cut out for a second there.
1: I thought that this was the uh best match of the first round though. The only other one that I would think comp- would compete with it was London versus Spanky and I thought because of the kind of messed up ending, I uh, I would give the slight nod to this one, although that one was, you know, because it was shorter, it was probably a little more exciting and more of a pleasant surprise.
0: I would I would uh I would put London and uh and and, um, spanky above this but maybe just because it's more compact and like you said more of a surprise Mm -hmm. but again both good matches and still we're getting better than we had on on um, ROH undercards so
1: yeah this definitely again feels more substantial
0: Yeah, and next we get it's not a match but I'm going to have to rely heavily on my notes here because it's a long arduous segment where uh, I'll try and make this as quick as I can um Dunn and Marcos come out and they say they're the best tag team in Ring of Honor. The
1: top tag team in Ring of Honor, which is the debut of something that is their literal catchphrase for the next few years. Yeah. That seriously, that's their catchphrase. Yeah,
0: and I lo- I love Dunn and Marcos. So, um Colt like kind of guilty, well not even a guilty pleasure, I just like them, but um, they say they're the top tag team, the Hit Squad come out and they 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 proceed to murder Dunn and Marcos and I have to admit I got kind of angry watching this because like the hit squad are really good at doing brutal squashes, but I just have not liked how they've been portrayed and just seeing them like they're pretty brutal with Dun and Marcos and it actually started making me angry at them. Like at one point, um, Mafia, he gets done in the corner and he chops him right in the face, like literally a hard chop on purpose into his face. And I was starting to think to myself, like, fuck you guys. Like, all you do is confront teams that are fun and goofy and be complete dicks to them and, like, take advantage of them and beat the living shit out of them. And it started to really piss me off to the point where Divine Storm comes out and Quiet Storm gets on the mic and Quiet Storm cuts the screamy, angry promo on the Hit Squad where um, he tells them, you know, that they ain't shit you know they
1: haven't even had a match, right? Yeah, says which that, gets which a which pop. I love from that. The crowd. I yeah, love that.
0: that. That made me pump my fist. And the crazy thing is, the crowd like treats this promo with a face reaction. And like when he says, "You haven't even had a match," yet, like the crowd pops for this. Like, I wonder if part of them were getting sick of this too. Yeah,
1: it's like it's like I didn't realize that it was so obvious what we're thinking now. Back then, you know, just that. Like, these guys, you know, they, they get pushed, and it's like, oh, these guys are great, they're so stiff, and it's like, oh, they but they don't fucking do anything. Just, they just hit moves and hurt other people, and, I, you know, again, I, I haven't seen them in other companies at the time, so I'm sure they were better, but the way they're portrayed in ROH is so unlikable.
0: Yeah, it, it's just not – just – again, I don't want to judge them as a whole because I, I haven't seen a ton of them in their other promotions, and I've heard they were better, but – they come off as so unlikable here, and and they and as always, when Quiet Storm cuts this promo, Steve Crino does the same. The kid can talk like again, they keep going back to the his name is Quiet Storm, so it's a shock that when he talks, even though they've gone through this now on multiple shows it and must be a, it on, must and,
1: be a, it must be an intentional joke at this point i, I it, yeah. has, it has to be
0: yeah it, it's it's not a good one, yeah. but at this point, the s a t come in and you know. They immediately start fighting, and we get kind of a sloppy, kind of impromptu three way brawl now between um, Quiet- the Divine Storm and SAT and Hit Squad. And there's one kind of neat moment where the Hit Squad catch someone on a dive to the outside, and then some other guy dives on top of all of them, which was kind of cool. Someone hits a standard Hurricane Rana, and Donnie B calls it an overhead hand scissor suplex. <laughs> Uh, uh <laughs> um, uh, he's you're out of your element, Donnie, and uh, <laughs> uh, also um, during this segment, the announcers keep freaking out about Quiet Storm swearing on the mic because apparently this was the first time in history someone had swore cussed uh, on the house mic in a Ring of Honor show, and as we had saw earlier on an earlier show with Frank Talent, you know he didn't want any cussing, so. You know, Christopher Daniels, first guy to break the code of honor. Um, Quiet Storm, first guy to break Frank Talent's code of being a nice guy. Um,
1: um, by the way, I should mention that a lot of this stuff is – they do jump cuts. Like they're not showing this unedited. They're editing from one little like mini segment to another. They're cutting out a lot of stuff.
0: Live, this segment was said to be over 17 minutes on tape. I timed it out to be around 14 or 15. So, yeah, they're making little cuts here and there, obvious ones, to try and fit this in or maybe cut it for a reasonable we'll talk in a second. Um then the Christopher Street Connection and Alice in Danger come out. And when YMCA hits, the crowd actually pops big. Like, the crowd jumps up. They're super excited. Like, you forget how over the Christopher Street Connection was at this point.
1: Yeah, they were, and they, like I said, they're good. Like, they're good at what they do.
0: And um, they come to the ring and the natu- and uh, it's almost as soon as they come to the ring, the natural-born sinners come out. They take out the Christopher Street Connection, you know, Donnie and Creno rejoice that the what they call the three Fruit Loops are getting attacked. Um, Mace takes the ugliest cop killer I have ever seen, and not in the sense that it looked painful, but in the sense that it took him three tries to jump up for it, and then he landed on its side. Oof. I've never seen someone take it that bad, that poorly. Um, Allison Danger gets his, her skirt hiked up, and each of the natural born sinners spank her and she's wearing, like, sexy garters and stuff underneath, so... They had to get in
1: their requisite um, abuse of women at some point on this show.
0: I I was about to say, they they made sure that this... This is this thing that's keeping their streak of weird, misogynistic violence against women at four straight shows. The the streak is not broken, thanks to the sinners. And then the Carnage crew come out. And at this point, the crowd shits all over the Carnage crew, and they are noticeably quieter for the rest of this I don't know if they were just getting bored with the whole thing or if it was purely they hated the crew so much that this took them out of it um, the crew attacks the Natural Born centers with hubcaps uh, finally the Natural the, the Hit Squad come back in the ring and they help the Natural Born centers take out the Carnage crew and the, and the announcers actually acknowledge that like the Natural Born centers and the Carnage crew are friends and this is kind of like the first time that the, the the announcers have kind of acknowledged that kind of New York crew of low key and the hit squad and the sinners all kind of being a group of wrestlers that come up together and are friends and consider them family. And then we get a horrible spot where the hit squad literally do the Divine get the table spot directly ripping off. Like they literally do that spot. Yes. They, they put the carnage crew through a table and Which that's felt the, so it
1: felt so indie.
0: Yeah, like like ripping ripping off ECW again,
1: ripping off WWE actually because they never did the Devon get the table thing in ECW, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I I think you're right. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think you're right. But I mean, it, it's just it's just such a it was such a doofy thing for them to do, and that's that's the end of the segment. And before I get some any kind of thoughts from you, uh, well, uh, I'll. I'll note that live reports said like this killed the crowd. Like people say, the crowd was bad for the second part of the show, and people said this is what killed them.
1: This was not. That was not the end of the segment. Um, uh, are
0: you talking about the part where they go backstage with low key?
1: Well, they have a big fight in the crowd uh, uh, up front because uh, you know homicide is like what the oh, fuck yeah, yeah. and like because because hit squad says that uh, this proves they're the best team.
0: Yeah, and, you know, and the natural born sinners who are. Being buddy buddy with them, yeah, they get pissed,
1: really pissed. Like it almost like homicide actually does a really good job of seeing me actually legit like furious at them to where I'm like actually scared for them, saying like, "What the fuck? Like you? Like we're the best team? What are you talking about?" And at that point, like the the hit squad get like really almost like like deeply upset about it they're like what, what like what's his problem why is he so mad at us and i um yeah and then they go backstage with uh with loki and loki basically he like the moth goes to loki like you know what's his problem and he comes back from japan and thinks he's like all hot shit and loki's like get the cameras away we're gonna go down we're gonna go you know backstage and settle this uh as, as a family and um and i uh you know as far as like what i think of the segment um It was obnoxious. Um, I'm glad they cut stuff out. Uh, Like I said, I do think that the hit squad are the least likable of the bunch. I still don't understand why the crowd hated the Carnage crew so much. Um, I guess there's just maybe, like you said, one team too many that does the same thing. Um, But um, I guess it accomplishes a few things. Um, It accomplishes setting up the tag title tournament a few months later. And kind of starting that three-way feud with the carnage crew the sinners and the hit squad to finally get them all involved in something that might have some substance so i guess that's good but it was obnoxious and um i don't think it came off super well um but it honestly as like it's i think it maybe sounds a little worse on paper than it actually was i think that it had some uh I don't know. It had some entertainment value seeing all these teams come out. And I do think the Quiet Storm came off like a hero here, basically like standing up to the bullies.
0: And um, he wasn't – this segment, like they said live – the live report said this killed the crowd and went on way too long. And I would agree it went on way too long and there was parts of it I didn't like. Like overall, I didn't really like the segment. But if I was there live, it wouldn't have killed me as an audience member. Like it wasn't completely devoid of entertainment. Right. I, I would say the interesting – the, the big, my big takeaway from this was this should feel like a huge moment because this is all of the Ring of Honor tag teams, a lot of them that have never really interacted with each other before, all like the dedicated teams, finally like all brawling and trying to battle for supremacy and kind of meeting each other. And it's interesting where we – I've, I've heard you talk about how um, – you know, why is it so hard for wrestling companies to do tag team divisions right? And, you know, not enough companies through the years have done good tag divisions. And watching this segment, I realized, like, man, Ring of Honor, already in their fourth show, had a lot of dedicated tag teams. Like, it, credit to them, they built a tag division. It just wasn't a good one, you know?
1: Yeah, they also they just didn't have, like, tag team matches. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, this this should have felt really a lot cooler than it was. But... Again, they just wanted to get all these teams on the show, I assume, and want something to break up the two rounds of the tournament. It, it, it's not, it's not great, but it's not the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah, like you said, the Hit Squad and Sinners go backstage. Loki's like wondering what's up with both of them. Like you said. Um, mafia outright references the homicide went to japan which they briefly mentioned on the other show but the announcers have never really mentioned it so i thought that was kind of interesting where like you said mafia just goes you know goes to japan and thinks he's a big shot or something and then um key's trying to corral everyone downstairs to get them to talk and get along and the camera is gonna go follow them and key like goes to the camera like no this is family business and um that that so that's that segment. That was a, a long segment. Again, it probably comes off about 15 minutes on uh, DVD. But we're going to start the second round of the tournament. We're getting there. Four yeah, more minutes
1: Yeah, can, like, can you believe this is, this is like now they have intermission, and then there's the whole second half of the show after. So this is a, a let's say for now a diplomatic, we'll say it's a packed show. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I have no idea how long this was live, but it obviously was much longer than the three hour DVD. Yeah. And we get the first round, first match of the second round of the Ring of Honor World, not World, but just Title Tournament. And that's Jody Fleisch taking on Spanky. Spanky wins here in five thirteen by pinfall after the slice bread number two. Uh, Matt, you gap for a bit so I can take a break.
1: Well, Fleisch looked a lot better here than in his first match i thought um just it just just i guess just trying to do a little less and so i think what he did ha- had a little more impact um did a goes for a springboard dive but spanky crotches him mid-rope like mid-rope which i think which i thought was very cool um you know because usually the crotching is right in the corner um spanky hits some suplexes on flash flash uh, overshoots a springboard moonsault and takes out the guardrail which uh the crowd lo- uh loved it and they really loved that he got up they he got a huge pop for getting up after that um so flash went for the shooting star press spanky moves and flash lands on his feet which i thought was one of the coolest things uh, of the night so far um so-, so i thought he really got himself over with just those two spots the uh, taking out the guardrail and then uh, and then the slanting on his feet after missing the shooting star press. I thought, like, the crowd, at that point, the crowd was just, like, gaga over him. Um, Spanky hit a quick um, slice bread number two for the win. So it was a very short match, but I thought it had some cool spots. As far as, like, a, just, like, a really short uh, nothing-doing match, I, it was very entertaining, I would say. And I thought both guys looked good.
0: I thought um, – I was not – I did not – I was not as be- – i didn't like this that much um i, I thought there was a f- couple cool moments but i thought it felt in some ways kind of disjointed which obviously a five-minute match can feel that way kind of herky-jerky and it didn't make up for that by having as many crazy spots it did like you said have the absolute nutty spot probably the nuttiest spot of the night where jody fleisch does the salt to the outside and crash and burns on the guardrail which was actually a scary spot uh, especially in light of the Chris, Chris Marvel, Marvel insur- yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I imagine if you were in the crowd, you know, live watching that, you're probably thinking, is this going to happen again, and it was crazy for him to even attempt that, because on these early Ring of Honor shows, the guardrail is really pretty close to the ring, and he gets really good distance on this, like, he doesn't just, sometimes you see in wrestling, a guy does a dive, and he goes a tiny bit too far, and kind of nicks, like, the barricade or guardrail, that wasn't this. He he crashed way deep into the guardrail and yeah, knocked it over. He open. pretty
1: much moonsaulted the guardrail. Completely. Yeah,
0: he, yeah. It completely overshoots Spanky. You know, Spanky immediately kind of ducks down and tries to talk to him. And like you said, he gets a big reaction just for sh- just for standing up. And I did think it was kind of, like it was impressive, but I also thought it was weird where like Donnie B's going, you know, if he gets up, I'll shake his hand, and the crowd's applauding him, and it's like the thing that he did best on this show that got the biggest reaction was a clear kind of botched spot from a bad idea which was I'm going to do this crazy dive you know in a in a place where I really don't have much room to do it. So I I thought that was kind of funny but to me it was just a not too much just a 5 minute thing, you know. Spanky kind of wins out of nowhere with a well, not out of nowhere, but he, he hits the sliced bread number two. And Spanky at this point, I forget if he's like six or seven and oh, like between the gauntlet match from last show and the two wins here, like he has not lost it. He, he is the winningest Ring of Honor wrestler so far.
1: Yep. Yeah. I, I again, And I thought, you know, they're, they're, like I said, not, the match maybe was kind of disjointed, but I thought they executed it the way they wanted to. And even the botch, I think, got the crowd more into the match. Um, whereas I think in their other matches, they didn't execute it exactly the way they wanted to. And I thought that made them a, look a little more impressive here than they did in some of their other
0: stuff. It, it, it was definitely one of the most memorable things from this show. Yeah. And there's some memorable things on the show. So, and then we're going to go to, um, next second round match in the ring of honor title tournament. And that's, uh, American dragon taking on Doug Williams. And Doug Williams beats American dragon here in an upset in thirteen seventeen by pinball after kind of an inverted suplex that uh that countered the cattle mutilation
1: yeah and if you want me to um if you want me to get this one so you could uh have a little bit of a uh voice a vocal rest uh, I'm cool yeah with that. sure sure so um dragon goes for an inziguri really early in the match um I, I just personally, I was really excited for this cause I, you know, I haven't seen it in years and I thought Williams looked really good and I love obviously uh, dragon at this time, uh, also. So, 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 you know, dragon hits that enziguri. It's like a very early big spot. Um, but I would say Williams is the first guy who looks as good or better when wrestling dragon in terms of the hold for hold stuff. I just thought I was just so impressed with how he looked as we've discussed, um, um donnie b talks about in roh uh, has a variety of styles other promotions wouldn't and his example the british style of doug williams and the flashy jody flesh now i get that they both have different styles but it's just funny that he's like well the one has a british style and the other is just british um
0: and also he's picking two british wrestlers that came in for the first time on this show
1: yeah that's funny also um um, yeah, so like he's are representative of the styles in ROH, but they've had, like, one match so far, or two matches so far each. Um, so Williams takes control, and he looks very good. He puts Dragon in a, a variety of holds. Um, they talk about how Doug is not there to entertain, but I thought he was entertaining. And yet this is where Carino says uh, Williams didn't become good by watching British wrestling. Um, uh-huh. So the, the both guys have heel hooks on each other, and they each roll to the floor like while holding onto them, which I thought was pretty cool. Like they're both lying like like leg to leg, and they're both holding each other's heels, and they both roll out onto the floor. Um, Williams hits a spinning DDT for two. Um, Dragon hits a cravat suplex, which Donnie B calls a front face chancery neckbreaker suplex. <laughs> 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 it's literally what he calls it. Um, <laughs> moves maybe you know maybe he should just name the moves they are more fun sounding um uh dragon kicks out of the chaos theory which uh is a gets a big pop and and this is like becomes like something that they know that like the that dragon kicks out of everyone's finishers kicked out of slice spread number two kicked out of the key crusher kicked out of what uh angels wings um
0: i really like they made yeah the commentators made a note of you know which i thought was good considering that you know dragon's going to lose here and he's lost a couple matches in ring of honor they make a note that you know like even if he loses you know he's kicked out of the key crusher he's kicked out of like you said the slicebread bread number two now he's kicked and they act like in fact i think they try this probably isn't true but they i think creole acts like no one has ever kicked out of the chaos theory
1: right and you know and i have no idea if that's true but it's a. Uh
0: they're putting it big, over big. At least. Right,
1: right. It doesn't really matter if it's true or not. Um, Dragon hits uh, the top rope, belly to back, um, and Williams immediately gets out of cattle mutilation. Like as soon as he puts it on, he gets immediately out and does sort of like a neck cradling thing and gets dragged into the pin. Um, I thought uh, this match. I liked it. Like I thought it was good, but I was maybe a little disappointed in it. Like I thought it was very well wrestled, but I didn't feel like there was much of a story to it. But I, you know, there were certain things in it that I liked a lot, and I thought, and I, you know, obviously I think they're both awesome. But I just didn't. I thought the match was maybe a little less than some of its parts.
0: Um, we're back to agreeing, yay, we're friends again. Because <laughs> um, I, I thought the first couple minutes looked like they were going to have a story. Because what I liked in the first couple minutes is there was a lot of kind of bravado, and they were, you know, they were doing these kind of technical grappling chain wrestling exchanges and there was a real swagger particularly from a dragon actually where i think after one exchange he's like he screams come on doug williams like it really felt in the first couple minutes like what you'd want this match to be which is two guys known for being technically great kind of battling it out for the title of who's the best technical wrestler and like you said one of the standout spots in the match where they both have simultaneous knee bars and roll to the outside of the ring, and they're still holding them on outside the ring. That's a spot that could feel gimmicky elsewise, but I think it fit the story perfectly here, which is this was a huge battle of pride, you know, and these guys, you know, they didn't want to lose out on the battle of who was the best guy on the mat. Now, the problem, I think, is after those first kind of few minutes, other than that knee bar moment, they kind of abandoned that to just do super action-packed, no abandon the story just do wrestling and it's really good for what it is but my thought when i was watching this which was a little weird because doug williams is 29 i thought this is a young man's match like i thought watching this if you did this same match 10 years later they wouldn't have wrestled it this way like i think at one point um dragon i I, dragon like hits the top rope headbutt he uh you know, he takes a suplex to the floor, he lands on, on his feet about as safe as you can, but that's still kind of a big thing to take it from, you know, Doug Williams is on the apron and he suplexes Dragon from in the ring to the floor, you know, like you said, Dragon hits the, the belly to back superplex, and all these moves, like nothing gets time to breathe, it's like bam, 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 onto the next move, bam, onto the next move, which is a little different from what I expect from Dragon matches, like even the Chaos Theory suplex, um, Dragon, you know, kicks out, and while the announcers are like, no one's ever kicked out of the Chaos Theory dr- suplex, Dragon's on offense probably five to ten seconds later, like while they're still talking about that. Right. Which, uh, again, it, it's just, it, it's still a really entertaining match because of the action, but it was kind of surprising how these guys, especially Dragon, of of really smart, thoughtful wrestlers, were kind of doing what, most other guys in this card are doing which just. Let's just pack this match with action, and if we lose some other aspects of wrestling, that's okay. Like, you know, again, Dragon throwing out kind of a, almost all his biggest moves here.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree. I, that's it's kind of the exact critique, I guess you could say that I would have. But you know, they'll they'll have other chances, and I, I still think it was it was good. I just don't think it was as good as it could have been.
0: Yeah, I, I still enjoyed this match. I, I, re, I did enjoy it. it. I guess maybe I'm criticizing it for being not being the match I wanted it to be that I thought it was starting out as. Exactly, yeah. Which I, I've, I've heard some people look down on that and say, you know, critique a match for what it is and not what you want it to be. But they kind of teased me with it this time, so I think it's okay because they kind of give you a hint of what they could have done. Um, I also thought the ending, I thought it was cool that, you know – Williams wins by countering the uh, the catamutilation into he kinda of herks them up and does an inverted suplex and does that kind of like three-quarter Nelson pin. But I also thought it was a little bit underwhelming in the sense that they did so much in the time they had and hit so many big moves that just doing an inverted suplex and then getting the pin kind of felt a little bit even though it was countering a you know a finisher I, I kind of wish they had done kind of a bigger move than that to finish the match.
1: A lot uh, of these finishes feel abrupt to me.
0: Yeah, and I, I also wish that Donnie B hadn't called um, hadn't called it an Ocean Cyclone Suplex because what Doug Williams did because it it. it I I, I YouTube it just to make sure my memory was correct. This move in no way resembles an ocean cy- cyclone suplex. So it's funny how oddly specific he was while being completely wrong. Yeah,
1: this, like he could. this, this was actually the front face neck, chancery neckbreaker suplex.
0: Yeah, like um, normally Donnie B
1: just... Just, just kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, crap. Got to change my notes. But, but no, like Donnie B, like you were saying, he... um. He usually just does word foo when he doesn't know a move. He, he'll like kind of approximate what he thinks it is and then add another four descriptors to it. <laughs> but so it was kind of weird for him to like come up with an actual not common suplex in, in North America and then be completely wrong about it. But yeah, I would say good match, but not very good, you know, a- action packed, but could have had a bit more personality other than the first few minutes but still again and, and obviously they said live this was a big surprise because Doug Williams was a British kind of fly in and here he's beaten dragon but dragon's not even going to be on the next show
1: yeah but maybe we didn't know that yet at the time yeah so that that is noteworthy actually like they 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 flew Doug Williams in and he gets put into the um, he gets put into the ROA title match. Now we should mention because I don't know if we actually did mention this. This tournament is building up a four way Ironman match at the next show, and the winners of all the different quote blocks are going to be in this four way. And there's going to be a whole point system, which will I guess we'll explain on the next show. Yeah. And so so far we have now Spanky and we have Doug Williams in the four way for the next show for the title.
0: Mm-hmm. And Doug Williams is kind of when when we get to the end of this is the one surprise i would say you know i think you'd expect everyone else to have a good shot of being in except for Williams. so it's kind of cool that they threw in you know kind of a a, a surprise entrant i think when you have a four way it gives you more license to kind of give you one surprise guy like that you know um sec- semi main event is um The Amazing Red versus Low Key in a second round ROH title tournament match. Low Key beats The Amazing Red in 11 minutes, 16 seconds after hitting a second rope key crusher. And this is easily the most famous match on the show. This is the match people remember from the show. And more, more specifically, they remember the first minute of this match, which is there's a sequence in the first minute where... Key tries to hit Red like a hundred times. Red, it's not actually that many, but Red avoids them all, you know, very quick and choreographed. And the crowd loses their minds for this sequence. The announcers lose their mind. I remember even reading the internet at that young, tender age. People talked about this segment and singled it out and would compare other segments to what they would just refer to as like the Key Red segment. Um. The crowd just comes unglued for this. Donnie B calls it the Matrix meets movie magic. Which, yeah, which, which makes
1: me say, like, what does he think the Matrix is?
0: Yeah. <laughs> either Donnie B thinks the Matrix is real yeah. or doesn't know what movies are or something. <laughs> it, it's, like, it's like saying, it's a hot dog meets a sausage in a bun. Like, what, what, Donnie? Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, Donnie, I'm starting to love you. Um, but I, this is a match, you know, it's completely different from everything else on the card. And I think low-key matches in general are kind of unique by the nature of low-key. But this was very much, I think, you know, kind of a mix of some of the brutal things low-key can do with kind of the very athletic stuff he and Red can do. You know, there's some real brutality to some of how low-key treats Red in this. Like I noted – um Low-key wrestles, uh, wrestles Red here, and they're the same size, but the way Low-key works and the way they work this match, it feels like low key seven foot tall, 350 pounds, you know, even though they're basically the same size, very similar, but, you know, he beats up on Red. He, uh, at one point, he lifts Red into kind of a key crusher cradle-type position over his shoulders, and he just runs Red super hard into the other t- corner turnbuckle. Yeah, he
1: calls that and, the crush rush.
0: Yeah, and, and and Red falls over the turnbuckles, and the camera doesn't catch his bump, but from, like, the crowd reaction on that side of the ring, it, he must have taken, like, a, a really bad fall because they kind of give, like, that kind of, ooh, like, jump out of your chair, this kid just killed himself reaction. And I thought this was easily Red's best performance in Ring of Honor. Uh, um, some of the sequences don't hold up quite as well the, I, I think the thing that surprised me revisiting this match is the opening sequence that everyone talks about is not as long or as fast as I remembered it. And the crowd even starts cheering halfway through it. But I guess in the age of um, Will Ospreay and Ricochet matches and stuff like that, th- they've set the bar so much higher for how long and complicated these kind of choreographed back and forth sequences go. But it's uh, credit to these guys. It's still impressive. There's a sequence later that doesn't get talked about that ends with, a, I think, um, Red hitting a standing shooting star press that I think is just as good, that people don't talk about as much. Um, Just a really exciting, entertaining match. And maybe it loses a little bit 15 years later, but I think just the nature of how brutal it was in spots and just, I think some of it still really holds up.
1: Yeah, I, like, I think I might even like this more than you. I, um, I, but I used the same, the same phrase. I said, very exciting match, still entertaining. But I thought it was, I would actually go as far as to say it was a great match. Um, I thought it was better than the low-key AJ Styles match from the month earlier. Um, that opening was cool, but I think the match itself that they had was even more impressive. Like, First of all, it was the first match that I really saw Red selling, like really selling. And I thought he did a really good job of it. Um, you know, this underdog selling thing, I thought the timing of some of these kicks were awesome, like, you know, just, um, you know, low-key blocking Arana, and then just destroying Red with a capo kick. Um, then Red blocks the tidal wave kick with a top rope drop kick, which I thought was awesome. Then he couple kicks, uh, Key couple kicks Red off the middle rope onto the floor. Like, I just, like, so these, these, some of these moves are just so brutal. The first time Key goes for the crush rush, uh, Red reverses into, like, a, um, like, almost like a, like a flip driver thing that looks really cool. Um, the only move that I thought really looked sloppy was the reverse Rana that Red hit on Loki. I don't think that really hit cleanly, but, um, but I just thought it was, totally awesome like everything they did the crowd was like i said they woke up the crowd because this was like a really long night you know the crowd was fairly respectful they were a good crowd but you know they had to be like dying at this point and this this match i thought got just as hot a reaction as it would have gotten in the first few matches so i you know and it, to me it stands out as a unique match during this early period and i thought the like loki has been given great performances the entire time i thought both guys were, looked great in this match. And uh, Red got a big standing O at the end with a Red chant. Um, I was impressed by this 15 years later. Like, I did not expect to like it this much.
0: Yeah, and and I think one of the things that makes it hold up is that that brutality, because watching it, it was like one minute you'd see something really kind of athletic and pretty, and then the next minute you'd see something just brutally violent from low-key. And I think that mix is something that... To this day, 15 years later, not a lot of guys accomplish, like, have matches like that.
1: Yeah, possibly, maybe, because some of, like, the, you know, the guys wrestle a little safer now, so yeah. the brutality, like, it actually is novel again.
0: And credit to Red, he plays a good, really good underdog here, and he's willing to, like, bump and take take the abuse here, you know. I, I think, obviously, Key kind of, you know, shows off how he can be stiff and brutal in every match, but... A guy like Red really enhances that by how, how – how what he's willing to take and how he's willing to sell it. And like you pointed out, something I missed I think is really good to point out. There was selling in this match. Even though there was a lot of big spots and craziness, they did also let things breathe breathe at some point. The selling you know? I
1: think made the match in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, that- it's the difference, you know, and this match did not – it's only an 11-minute match, but they still found time for it, you know. Sometimes people go, oh, you know, a short match. They don't have time for stuff like that. And I've used that as an excuse on this show for matches that are like four minutes long. But once you get to 11, you can still have a complete show-stealer match, which is what this was, the best match on the show and the match everyone came away talking about from this show. And still have selling, you know, still, still let things breathe a little bit. Um, I will say there is one spot that was a bit iffy other than the one you mentioned, which is uh, low-key goes for a big kind of a handspring-type kick, and um, Red's on the ropes, like on the outside of the ropes, and the kick clearly whiffs, but even that, I thought Red did a great job of, once he realizes it whiffs, he kind of leans back like, oh, I was trying to dodge that, and then he just sits there, stands there, and lets low-key kick him with a different kick, and I thought... You know, a guy that young, some guys would have just bumped anyway, even though it was a clear whiff. And he was smart enough to go, you know, I'm not going to sell this. I'm not going to be a deer in the headlights. I'm going to react and just wait for what comes next. And that actually impressed me.
1: It's a very good point. Um, I also liked at the end when when Key hit the top rope Key Crusher, like it was a delayed cover. Like he was selling before he covered, but the move was still so devastating that it still got three, even though the cover was delayed. I thought that was good and impactful.
0: I I really like that too. It it harkens back to the uh the Dragon Key match from Round Robin Challenge where, you know, Key hits the top rope key crusher on Dragon and would have probably won the match in in story, but again, just in that match too, he's too exhausted from doing it to like cover him and Dragon rolls to the outside and I thought it's great he kind of kept consistent on that where he hits the move and even though he does win, he, he he has to crawl. It takes time, you know. It, it took a lot out of him to hit that, and I think it does put Red over. Even that, like, you know, he pulled had to pull that out to beat Red. You know, he showed him respect where he had to hit him with that big a move to beat him.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: So yeah, this, to me, this is the best match on the show. I w- I would agree with you. It's better than AJ Low Key. I wouldn't put on the level, obviously, of uh, the the very first show three-way or key dragon. Right. But I would say it other than those, I mean, and again, you know, keys had the, the standout match on all four shows. I would argue now. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. So we're left with one match. Well, we oh, have, actually. Yeah, you, oh, we... wait segment. Yes. I, I missed again. Yeah. Um, post-match, um, Brian XL comes out cause Brian XL getting a weird push was still a thing. And, Mid two thousand two, and uh, he gets on the mic for some unintelligible ranting. He uh, attacks Red, which brings up the SAT to Spanish Fly Brian XL. Um, that was pointless. Donny I mean, B,
1: call- B calls uh, Brian XL a quote nappy headed goof, which um. just made me say like Why? Like Why do you have to go there? It doesn't make any sense. It's totally unnecessary. But that is wrestling, but it's stupid and it sucks.
0: I mean, Donnie B., you know, head of his time, years before um, – I Imus. Uh, uh, yeah, I had said nappy-headed ho. Here comes nappy-headed for – I mean, everyone – people weren't being, I don't know, outright racist. But, you know, there was a lot of, like, little bow-well comments and stuff to Brian XL, you know. Yeah. And it's tough to give them the benefit of the doubt considering what Ring of Honor was early on. But it, it doesn't get completely there, but it is a little bit – makes you want to tuck tug on tug on your collar a little bit yeah definitely um backstage boogaloo is pissed that someone said they were the best tag team and not them that's a horrible offense um homicide then plugs a uh natural born sinners versus carnage crew match for the next show that will be a bunkhouse brawl and so they're openly you know building to a match and homicide says he drinks blood like milk so i guess that means he's a vampire we
1: drink blood at night Nighttime just like fucking milk Is how he <laughs> says it
0: the, That is such a, that's such a Homicide thing where like it sounds Cool when he says it you know yeah. it, it, sh- it shouldn't sound cool but Like it's your sound like you're trying too hard But for some reason homicide gets away with it Got it um, We get one more little segment before the main event Where Brian excels is backstage And he confronts Divine Storm For not having his back Um they call him out for basically being Brian XL. Quiet Storm calls XL, uh, Biatch, 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 <laughs> getting revenge on him for last month. Uh, and then XL storms off saying he'll find someone else to fight his battles with him. So, that's building up Is so something that we'll see in a little bit.
1: Yeah, um, I guess, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna get a brand new stable that will make its mark in a lot of ways. <laughs>
0: Something that can appreciate the 420 match time earlier. But main event now, the very last match in the second round of the Ring of Honor title tournament of the second round. um, Christopher Daniels defeats AJ Styles in 21 minutes, 49 seconds after he hits the last rights. Uh, Bold
1: bold of them to do a 20-minute match after 13 other matches. I will say that.
0: Yeah, I mean, in a way you could say it's traditional because the main event usually goes long, but you would think if they would ever call an audible or something, you know, to do a a match that's nearly 22 minutes after what was probably a heck of a long card live. Um, Matt, uh, how about you take this one?
1: Yeah, well, to start, um, Donnie B calls this match a a dream match people have dreamed up for their entire lives. And it just made me think, like, oh, how quaint when Daniels versus Styles was a dream match, as opposed (laughs) to a match that people have seen so many times that they can uh, call it in their sleep. Um, But, um, you know, reasonable of him to say at the time. Um, Grappling to start, uh, Daniels works over Styles' arm, and uh, Carino calls this the greatest wrestling card of all time. Yeah. And and I've said this, uh, you know. It Probably from top to bottom was the greatest ROH card so far. Um,
0: I'll, I'll, and I'll say this. Dave Meltzer, when he saw the uh, show later, he wrote something to the effect of he thought this was like the best show uh, of the year in 2002 up to this point, which was over halfway through the year. So, I mean, he, uh, by the standards of the time, I don't know if I would agree with that. But Steve Crino, obviously huge into Hyper Bowl, but – I mean, people were considering for the time that this ma- that this show. I-, I also saw letters to the Observer where people were raving. So, for the time, people thought this was an absolutely incredible show.
1: Fair enough, and uh, you know, it certainly was the best ROH show, um, which we can talk about when I'm done yeah. talking about this. But um, I, uh, I hadn't seen Daniels really have such a mat-based match before this. Like he was really working the mat a lot early in this match, and I thought he was doing a good job. Um, and I thought it was an interesting choice, following everything they've seen with such a math-based match. But the crowd was mostly accepting of it. I would say, you know, they definitely seemed tired, but they were not being disrespectful. Um, and you—you'll see that, like Daniels, he kind of switches back and forth from doing like, like chin locks and like headlocks and like neck-based holds to arm stuff. Like he goes like back and forth from one to the other. Uh, the first big move of the match, I would say, was the—is the Kip Up Rana by AJ. Um, and then they kind of uh, start, like, doing more high-impact stuff. Um, AJ dropkicks Daniels to the outside. Does a corkscrew tope onto Daniels. Um, I'd say this, they, they punch each other on the um, on the apron. And AJ, at this time, has a very unfortunate um, mix where his punches look really stiff, but they also kind of look shitty. Like yeah. Like, he has bad punches that probably hurt. That reminds
0: me of that old Mick Foley thing where he was talking about – he was talking about I think Vader and he says, you know, there are people that have good-looking punches that don't hurt at all and there are people that have bad-looking punches that really hurt. And he says Vader had good-looking punches that really hurt. So it sounds like AJ was the second of those three things like you were just saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean his punches have definitely gotten better over the years. But at the time, I just – his punches seemed very awkward. Um Daniels knocked AJ off the apron and into the guardrail, and then AJ does a pretty good blade job, I have to say. Like, uh, better than I expected for this kind of Mm -hmm. match. And so AJ's bleeding, and the crowd uh, gets really into it, as they tend to do in those situations. And at this point, the match turns into like Daniels just beating AJ down. Like, AJ's bloody and battered, fighting from behind, and Daniels is just beating the crap out of him. And I think it's pretty effective. Um, He attacks the cut. Uh, he flapjacks AJ and kind of preens to the crowd. Um, he does sort of like a I don't know what what do you call like a like a lion salt? What's the official name? Because I know is, an asai moon salt is technically like doing that to the outside to the isn't outside. It? Yeah. So um, so what is it? I, I just call it a lion salt at this point, but I don't know if there's an actual name for it. Just a springboard uh, moonsault? Like I don't. Know.
0: I would I would call it either a lion salt or I guess the technical term would be a second rope springboard moonsault because I mean that's what it is. It's,
1: yeah, I guess so um so Daniels misses that and AJ finally comes back after a lot of being beaten down he hits a brain buster and then hits a springboard moonsault uh of his own while Daniels is hung up in the ropes for two so like Daniels is like in the ropes um like you know like sitting on the second rope like with like his torso like in the ring and his legs outside the ring and AJ jumps from the apron into the ring springboards onto Daniels with a moonsault which I thought was pretty cool um but then uh, Daniels gets the clo- Koji clutch on AJ and the crowd gets really into it with, you know, chanting for AJ and he reverses the Koji clutch into a pinning combo and that gets AJ to... Re- I mean, get, that gets Daniels to release the hold. Um, Daniels uh, drops AJ on the top rope and leaps to the, to the, to the buckle with a leg drop for two. Uh, or leaps, leaps, I should say, off the buckle with a leg drop for two. Ends um, a Gary by AJ uh, kind of leads to the, the double knockout spot and then um, Daniels hits just like a brutal STO on AJ. Hits the blue, blue thunder bomb for two. Goes for the BME, and AJ shakes the ropes, and Daniels gets knocked down. And uh, AJ, uh, and then hits the uh, the DDT for two. The uh, the um kind of like the moonsault DDT that he does. Um, and then Daniels uh, reverses the Styles clash with the heel hook. AJ kicks his way out. Um, oh, Donnie B says. That when he watches, um, oh, okay, okay, so this is what, okay, so I, yeah, I was wondering what I wrote this down for. Okay, so Donnie B's <laughs> talking about this, and he's talking about seeing Ring of Honor live in the middle of this, like, you know, big main event match, right? And he says, well, you know, I really love watching shows live, because I gotta be honest, usually when I watch these shows on tape, I just fast-forward through the whole thing.
0: Oh which, my god, I forgot that.
1: Which is hilarious, because, like, they're trying to sell tapes, um... So he's basically saying that he's he's fast forwarding through this stuff that you are all watching like saps. Um, well,
0: well, yeah, like he's like he makes it sound like like he's trying to put over to go see the live shows, but he completely like he makes it sound like ugh, you know, watching wrestling on tape. How can you get into that? Like, you it's a DVD product. Well, or I guess uh, it's, it's a VHS tape, product. Yeah,
1: VHS yeah. product. Yeah, which, where you could still fast forward in the traditional sense. Um, yeah, which is ridiculous. Um, AJ goes for another, uh, done one of the backflip DVD uh, DDTs, but Daniels reverses um, into the last rights and he gets the win. And I thought it was very good. Like, I, I thought it, they, they worked a good match. It definitely told the story. AJ did a good job selling. Like I said, his punches look bad. There was something about the match that kept it from being great, I would say. I can't totally put my finger on it. You know, it might have just been the long night. Um but it was you know, I don't really have too many specific critiques of the match. I just thought it was it was really good.
0: I probably liked it I, I liked it less than you. I would say it's above average, but I my same critique applies that you just gave, which is I can't single out things that were well, I'm gonna single out something, but I can't single out too much that was bad. It just didn't connect with me again, and it's the second AJ Styles match on the show that does that. The one thing I'll say, I'm kind of going to make a larger point about it is I thought like you were saying, it was an interesting choice that after a show this long, they chose to start kind of a slow, have a slow start, you know, not only are they doing a 20, you know, two minute basic match, they're doing quite a bit of like very almost not super well kind of dry mat work to start. I think it was fairly well done, but I don't think it was as as engaging of mat work. as like, dragon low key obviously that's a super high standard to uh, to get to but it's something we had seen only a couple shows earlier
1: well this was more traditional wrestling network and that was more like like MMA style grappling so I do yeah. I do think there's there's some difference there
0: but but um it, it was interesting where and it is something I could see the thought process of this crowd just saw something absolutely insane with Red and, and Low Key, and they've been through a long night. So let's let's kind of calm everyone down and build it back, build them back up again. And I've heard, you know, I've heard wrestlers talk about that as a thought process for matches before. And I think the thing that's kind of the the thing that I I wouldn't have done. Of course, I'm not a wrestler, so it's stupid for me to like. There's lots of things I wouldn't do as a wrestler, like do anything that could possibly hurt me a tiny bit. But one um, w- one thing that they they do is just as the match is ra- is starting to ramp up, that's when AJ gets does the blade job. And I'll give big credit to Daniels. Daniels when he does w- when AJ bleeds, Daniels works the cut. Like I think a lot of gut wrestlers they make the mistake of if someone bleeds they just keep working the match they would work no matter what and just it's it's their match plus blood but daniel's for the first minute or two after aj bleeds completely changes how he works like he's punching on it he's like taking him to the other part of ringside and like tearing at it he's grinding on it you know he, he's working to the cut you know he's working to what just happened in the match and i really like that but my only pro- thing problem with that was they, they start with like kind of a slow start. They start kicking the match into a second gear, and then the blood makes them slow it right back down again. And you still get a big, sequ- long sequence at the end. You know, a 20-plus minute match gives you lots of time to do stuff, to do bigger stuff at the end. But I just felt like it might have been better to like maybe have a quick, hot opening and then slow it down because of the cut, rather than they kind of did this weird up-and-down, up-and-down thing. Um... The, there was There was just something that um the work was all really solid, and again, you really appreciate guys like Daniels and Styles who are just so technically proficient when some guys aren't although on this show, I thought the standard of work was higher but but compared to some of the other shows, um, I always love a good finish, and I thought Daniels countering the kind of the springboard into the reverse DDT into the last rights was like a really fluid Spot that you know, those two moves flowed really well together, so I really thought that was a good looking finish. And um, you could tell the crowd, you know, that was the spot the crowd popped the biggest for, and I love that they ended on that because lord knows in indie wrestling, a lot of times guys don't end on like the biggest spot. And that was a match,
1: sorry, go. So it sounds like you liked this match more than you think you liked it.
0: (laughs) Uh, uh, it's weird because it's like it's going back to what you said, which is. There's something about it that just misses, even though I can't say it, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's not that it's a bad match because it isn't, it's good. It's just, and and, and quite frankly, I think like you were, I think you were hinting at these two have had better matches, you know, but, but I, I don't know what the missing ingredient is to this one, but I also, I also sympathize with them a lot because they had like the worst time, you know, on paper, Daniels and AJ sounds like the right main event. But after like the last two matches, especially Key and Red, and how late the show went, like, I feel bad that they had to be in this position.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a a tough spot to be in. And for someone like, well, first of all, I mean, it's a four, there are four shows into the company, so no one's that established. But AJ really like is presented as like a newcomer, right? He, He showed up in the second show so he wasn't there on those foundational shows and then he's asked to main event and i guess you know he was you know a main eventer to some degree in nwa already um so it, it's not like nobody knew who he was but he's still in the context of roh is not presented yet as like a full main eventer
0: yeah and, and um It's interesting, too, because I think it's during this match. It might have been a different one. I'm not sure. But they announced that low-key and and AJ Styles will have a rematch at um, the first Ring of Honor show in Boston. So they're already building that up. But it's kind of interesting because, you know, AJ loses again. You know, he's lost to Key, although that was kind of a disputed finish. And now he's lost to Daniels. But they did give him the win over Jerry Lynn. So... It, that was a little interesting. Where they're obviously wanting to push him, but they also want to make sure at first to kind of make sure he put over a couple guys first.
1: Yeah. Well, and, in a, in a show, well, in a company like this, where every show is like a you know almost like a, a supercard, you know, in the context of the company, and everyone you know major stars are wrestling each other, you don't really have time to do squash matches. Yeah. So like a guy like um, Dragon, you know, can lose you know three out of four of his first matches. And still be one of the top guys. And, you know, I guess it's the same thing for AJ.
0: Yeah, so overall, you know, again, I don't know if you have anything else to say about this match. Um yeah. I, Above average, I just – something missed. But, you know, there was a lot of good, pretty good – there was a lot of entertaining stuff on this show. So, you know, on another show, this would have stood out or probably even – this probably would have stood out more. But – um post-match we get a few things and the first thing is uh donnie b comes out and says he's got to make a huge announcement and he was actually teasing this on commentary during the match steve cream was like i gotta know what is it and you know donnie b wouldn't tell him and donnie b says he's gonna make this huge announcement and christopher daniels you know gets on the mic and he keeps interrupting donnie b you know donnie b will try to make the announcement and daniels will be like the announcement is the code of honors a farce and just keep talking and the crowd's cheering and then donnie can't make the announcement finally spanky comes in and uh he attacks daniels and they brawl on the outside which lets uh donnie announce that starting in september ring of honor would get their own local tv show called high impact tv on the local philly station and um i think we we don't want to get too deep into this but I guess this is the point in the Ring of Honor history where we should acknowledge that Ring of Honor actually had a TV show in its first year. It was just on um, uh, a Philadelphia channel. I forget which one. I wrote it down somewhere. but um, And it, I think I, – I don't know what its time slot was always, but I know at least the first episode premiered. I think either um, – it was a Tuesday m- midnight time slot. I think it was an hour long. It was called High Impact TV. And it showed almost nothing but old Ring of Honor matches, and I think it ran. It ran from September third, two thousand two, till January fourteenth, two thousand three. So it did not last very long. It did not. Um, it was a disappointment to Ring of Honor because it did not improve their uh, their drawing at all to the live events, or I don't think their DVD sales either, or tape sales at this point. Um, this channel apparently also showed CZW and NWA Wildside, so they were kind of into the indies. And the only other thing I'll mention about high-impact TV at this point is here's the first show that premiered on September 3rd. Starts with a promo from Key introducing Ring of Honor and the Code of Honor. Then the Hit Squad versus the Christopher Street connection from the Era of Honor begins. So they thought that was still a good way to introduce people to Ring of Honor then James Maritato versus Xavier from Round Robin Challenge which was like a nothing match. Yeah,
1: that's probably the most inexplicable honestly.
0: Yeah. Then and here's an odd thing, a clip of Bret Hart's RF video shoot interview where he talks about Owen Hart's death. That's the fourth thing that airs. Then Loki versus Daniels versus Dragon clipped from Era of Honor begins because of course you had to clip this because you had to make time for Maritato versus Xavier. And then finally <laughs> A Steve Carino promo for the Carino versus American Dragon match that never happened at the 921 Ring of Honor show. So, yeah, that doesn't sound maybe like the best way to introduce people to Ring of Honor.
1: No, I mean, it doesn't. Uh, if you had just had a show... I mean, I don't know what they really could have done, but, you know, I would say maybe like... Um, like just a couple of low-key matches. Like maybe... Um, the the, the three way from the first show and then red versus loki and, and like just like just focus on him a little bit on the first show i think that probably would have been a better I, I mean i don't know it really they didn't really film the shows like the tv product so it's hard to really say what they could have yeah. done differently but um but yeah definitely showing the christopher street connection stuff not the way to go
0: it's just something that's a little bit interesting because some people might not realize that they had a, a technically had a TV show this early and it paid no dividends for them and was very short-lived. But it did happen. Um, uh, then uh, the,
1: a trivia a note,
0: basically. Yeah, if you're playing ROH Trivial Pursuit, this will definitely be a question that you can wow well your friends with. Um, then we get – the segment continues in the ring where ref John Finnegan comes out. He calls Spanky, Doug Williams, Daniels, and Loki all into the ring because he wants to unveil the new Ring of Honor title that they'll all be fighting for at the next show. And Daniels, again, he keeps interrupting, and then he tries to steal it while it's still in, like, the cloth bag. And so this leads to a four-way brawl, and we never see the title. Not that that's a big deal, but it's kind of funny. I, I don't know if we're supposed to be, like, so mad at Daniels because we don't get to see the title a month early because of him. Um, and then the segment ends with Key puts Daniels in the dragon clutch and he won't let go of it. And Donnie and Carino sell this as something that could kill Daniels. People like Rudy Boy and other people rush the ring. Mafia, his, Key's friend, like, tries to talk Key down. Like, let go, man. You gotta let go. Um...
1: What's funny about the Moth thing is, like, he never changes his strategy of doing this because he's like, he's like, he walks in, he's like, he thinks he's gonna give him a stern talking to. He's like, let go, man, let go. And then like, people, and then he like just yells at everyone else, get away, get away. I, I can do this, I can handle this. Like, and then you just go, but he just goes right back to, you gotta let go, let go. And like, this happens like three more times, and then you just like, the whole time he's just like, let go. Like, like, this is this is his entire strategy. It never changes. He clearly is not working.
0: Not once does any of, like, the five or six people in the ring ever try, say, stomping low-key or hitting him at all, you know, like you would in wrestling, to make him release a hole. Like, yeah. everyone's just talking to him. Even though low-key in this position is completely defenseless, too, if someone just wanted to, like, kick him in the head.
1: Yeah, I feel like know, if if... if- Daniel's like wasn't a real choking, like was killed from this choke. All the you know the bystanders there would be at least somewhat at fault um, for not being more proactive in stopping this potential murder that's happening.
0: It would definitely be a last episode of Seinfeld situation where they get all in trouble for not helping, yeah, because they all clearly could have tried. And so the segment ends where rather than you know this goes on for at least two or three minutes, and rather than um you know the way it resolves. Is all the rest, all the people in the ring carry Key and Dragon to the back while Key is still holding. I mean, Key and Daniels while Key is still holding Daniels in the in the dragon clutch. So he never breaks it. We don't see how he breaks it. I mean, they literally could have just put um, a video saying Christopher Daniels died backstage <laughs> half an hour later. Like the way the way they treated this, you know. Well, maybe he's literally an angel. <laughs> Uh, the prophecy. He, he didn't. He didn't see the most important part of his prophecy, which was his own demise. Yes. But uh, yeah, it was. Um, it was entertaining, but probably not for the reasons they wanted it to be entertaining.
1: Uh, I. I, I, th- I actually thought it made some sense because Dan. Daniel's just kept like needling and needling and needling, and eventually, Key just snapped. I, I actually, um, you know, as ridiculous as it was kind of liked it
0: and and they're really leaning into like even at the start of the show with key being so angry at the mere mention of daniels like they're leaning into you know key can't stand daniels yeah like he loses control when he hears about chris daniels and and obviously you know it's it's building up big to the next month's show so and i appreciate again you know they're building up matches for even though this is a natural match to build because it's the tournament but Next we have a few quick little backstage segments to take us out. Um, a bloody AJ Styles is backstage and he uh, his cuts still bleeding and he says he'll next month he's gonna wrestle Adam Jones and David Young from NWA Wildside in Ring of Honor and he's, they're South, gonna show what the
1: South will rise.
0: The South will rise and they're gonna show what the South is all about. He explains why he didn't shake Christopher Daniel's hand after the main event saying that it's because he's a professional. I guess the insinuate you know, because Daniels isn't a professional. He's not going to shake his hand. And he says next time that um, he wrestles Daniels, he'll give, him, he'll give him a good reason to not be shaking hands because he'll break his hand. Yeah. So um, it was fairly intense from AJ. You know, he wasn't the world's best promo, but I was surprised that, you know, he, was, he wasn't completely dry either at this point.
1: Yeah, I actually wrote um, not a bad promo, which uh, yeah. I was impressed by.
0: Better than I thought from, from 2002 AJ Styles. Um, next, we get literally a five-second segment. Rudy Boy is backstage looking for Simply Luscious but can't find her. Um, this is a segment literally building up a segment that's going to happen in a couple minutes. Uh, Spanky then goes to, uh, up to American Dragon backstage to rub it in his face that Dragon lost in the tournament and he won. And he notes that Dragon isn't even booked for the next show. And then Dragon gets pissed and challenges Spanky to a two out of three falls match in Boston, which Spanky accepts. The the screen has a graphic telling us it's going to happen. It never happens. Um, Sad I face. Assume, I assume this is because Spanky started with zero one shortly after this show. So yeah. I assume that is zero. What I, I looked it up on um, you know like dot com just to make sure like Spanky was literally working on the day of the Ring of Honor Boston show in zero one. So. This is probably this is this, I would say this is the first great lost ROH match. You know, there there's there's probably a, more than a couple, but this is probably the first announced match that for whatever reason never happens.
1: I will say Spanky and um and Dragon do get to have their great ROH match a few years later.
0: Yeah. Uh, in in like 2028 uh, through the years we'll cover that match. Yeah. And uh looking forward to it. And then next segment is Carnage Crew. They plug their bunkhouse match with uh, the Natural Born Sinners on the next show. And they attack some more Ring Crew people. So mean. Yeah, they are building a, quite a few matches up. Like, more than they – they've always been doing it since day one. But with these little segments in the second half of the show, they're really building up for the next couple shows. Yeah,
1: two shows ahead. Yeah. Doing, and Luke yeah. says, honor my fucking ass. <laughs>
0: and then we get the final segment and this is what ends the show um i don't know if this was night vision or just green tinted because it was outside but a camera finds steve carino and simply luscious making out like behind the arena and they don't notice for an uncomfortably long time and the thing that really made me scratch my head was they're making out right next to an open dumpster and it's like (laughs) You, you could have made out anywhere in that area. Why you pick next to open dumpster? <laughs> uh, why? And um, so the camera finally, Creno notices. Um, Kreno gives like the most fakey, evil, like <coughs> kind of villain laugh. He goes, thanks, Rudy boy. I'm still, he, I'm still trying yeah. to
1: figure out what's villainous about this. Cause it's like, they're two adults, um, like, you know, making out, which is, I think perfectly fine. And even if you want to say like it 's bad because Carino is a bad guy and he 's a corrupting influence, like she 's already a member of the prophecy, so really what 's there to corrupt so i don 't really see what 's so dastardly about Carino here that 's what you know what I, you know what I mean
0: and, and yeah, and also um Carino has very obviously made his intentions clear ever since simply Luscious showed up, every match she 's involved with he's Lusting over her on commentary. So, in
1: fact, the first time she shows up, they kind of do a different angle where they sort of talk about like like hush hush, they're already dating, and then they yeah. kind of switch it to him like trying to get in her pants.
0: Yeah. So, and, and it's just funny because then we get the big like to be continued with an exclamation mark graphic on the screen, and that's how the show ends. And again, it's funny that. Ring of Honor is the kind that keeps telling you throughout these shows over and over again, not sports entertainment. And that is like a raw ending, you know. Yeah. Like Steve, Steve Carino, a guy who hasn't had one match in Ring of Honor yet, is making out with a like a valet who isn't really a serious wrestler at this point. And we get a to be continued. And that's, you know, that that's our cliffhanger. Yeah.
1: Early ROH does some things that are refreshing compared to like WWF at the time in the sense of like they really don't do rough bumps and they really for their big matches do have clean finishes but otherwise i'd say they're just as sports entertainment as any other wrestling in terms of like the kind of skits and angles and characters that they present like it's it's just it doesn't ring true this whole like we're not sports entertainment thing
0: yeah th- there's more of a focus on wrestling but all the skits are very sports entertainment skits like there's a lot of very silly comedy there's some over the top characters and stuff like this which is very soap opera esque you know
1: yeah, exactly. Um, but that said, um, yeah, I thought this was a uh, a really good show. I mean, I don't think it's as good as they seem to be making it out to be at the time. You know, there's a lot of crap on it. It's very bloated. It's way too long. But as far as like – and it, also, if you're watching this, well, I can't even imagine watching three hours of this in one sitting. It's just too much. But – as far as just, like, being consistently entertaining and substantial for the entire show, I'd say this is head and shoulders above all the other ROH shows they've had so far.
0: Yeah. Um, it, it To me, Low-Key and Red doesn't get quite to the level of the main events of the first two shows, and I always miss having that absolutely cr- – I, I realize those first two shows set such a high standard for that kind of match, but I always miss that kind of crazy great match. I'm recommending stuff, but in terms of overall quality, this is easily the best show. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's kept short. There's nothing that's really too painful to watch. I would say Red and, and Loki comes close to being kind of like that great, great, gotta-see-this-match. Um, there's, fewer, there's fewer shitty skits. Everything feels like it has more of a purpose because it's part of a tournament. It's just... Yeah, this is the show that I would say. You know, if you want to see early Ring of Honor and want to see a lot of these early names, this is probably after the four shows like my new go-to recommendation. Because, like you said, I wouldn't recommend watching this all at once because it's kind of exhausting. But you do get to see a ton of kind of indie names from the day, and most almost everyone impresses in some way of the major names.
1: Yes. That said, if 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 you do, if you don't care that much about seeing what our early ROH was like. And you just want to see some really good matches, I would still say get round robin challenge because that main event is so awesome. Um, Unless you could find that match other somewhere else. Yeah. Um, But but as far as just like being uh, having variety and a bunch of different kinds of good stuff and even the bad stuff, you know, giving you some good insight into what the company was like. This is definitely the best one.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree.
1: Also, this is—I know—we talk a lot about different eras of ROH. In some ways, this is an end of an era too, because this was the last show they had as part of those that Takedown Master series, where they had mm-hmm. these early, these first four ROH DVDs were actually sold in like major retail stores, um, um, like Best Buy and places like that, and. This is the last one of those that gets that treatment. So then we get more into like the era where it's become. I'd say at this point it's really becoming more of like a proper promotion with angles and characters and like different, as opposed to just that whole like um, special, you know, bunch of matches on a tape kind of thing
0: and I'll point out that uh, I don't know how much editing is in it but the takedown masters I did check today is actually at highspots.com for 999 so for people that do want to follow along this is one of the rare early ring of honor shows that does seem to be available through non eBay, you know, or tape trader ways or torrent ways whatever. That, so
1: yeah and 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 also let me say this um, f- for those of you who want to follow along on the next show which is crowning a champion the main event of that show is available for free on ROH's YouTube channel.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, if you want to – that, again, that's an hour-long Iron Man match. So if you want to see kind of the one big thing on the next show, there's no excuse not to see it because it's it's completely for free on the internet. Um, and that will be it, I think, for the fourth episode, which means now when we hold up four fingers, it can mean more than just the four horsemen. Um <laughs> So that was, I'm I'm losing steam with these jokes. Um, we got we got social media. Well, I hate saying that phrase. Why did I say it? Okay, I just gotta get through this. Okay. If you want to see us on Twitter or contact us, you can contact Matt at MayorMGF. You can contact me at Trevor Dame if you write to through the years at gmail.com someone will read it eventually. We are browsing the message boards at prowrestlingonly.com at f4wonline.com f- if you're a subscriber and at voicesofwrestling.com and there is a 6 in my social insurance number. Um, that's it. Uh, thank you everybody. We will be back next time for crowning a champion. We will finally just find out cuz we've lobotomized yourselves and forgotten we will find out who is the first ever ring of honor <laughs> champion next time on through the years goodbye bye. everybody
1: bye bye